everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of We Talk Games. Ho ho! And do we have a stacked two days for you, listeners? Yes, I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. T.T. Schmookins is normally here. However, I haven't seen her since this morning, and Stinky the Game Master just split. He was in here working on this humming mound sitting next to me. It's, it's kind of intimidating. I'm a little, little uh, concerned. However, uh, evidently it's for one of the special interviews we'll be doing later on in today's show. And speaking of special, you don't think we forgot. In our annual celebration of the two days of December 22nd, we will be featuring one episode today, December 22nd, and one episode tomorrow, December 22nd B, as it's called in the celebration community. And also, as per custom, both episodes will be chock full of holiday first. Uh, the only thing I regret is that this morning, Trapdoor Charmed borrowed my music CD of December 22nd classics. But let's not let that hold us back, friends. This show is going to be stacked, as is tomorrow's show. Episode 10 will feature a focus on independent gaming. And wow, I think that we really delivered... <laughs> Kelly Santiago of That Game Company will be out here to talk about Flower. Flower, a runaway indie game. I mean, it's on Spike TV Video Game Awards. Just as amazing. Kelly Santiago will be out to talk about Flower, That Game Company, and her independent game development journey thus far. Also, a very, very special guest, which evidently is going to have some other holiday first sprinkled upon it. The bohemian independent lone wolf game designer Jason Rohr will actually be in the studio in some capacity. I Once again, I'll talk about that in a little while, if it all works right. Plus our correspondents, Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, also Jaden to talk about portable gaming, and Jasonia will be back with his achievement review. Plus we have something very, very special on today's show, which I hope that every one of our listeners can take advantage of as well. Kyle will be on to talk about that. Plus we also be running a special underground theme for gaming on a budget games. $15 and under will be recommended by all of our correspondents and co-hosts. Tomorrow's episode, episode 11, will feature the return of the Retro Review. Eric Alex will be back. And our two special guests will be Stuttering Craig, who will be our first ever correspond guest, because he will be both a guest on our show as an internet celebrity, and also as a correspondent talking about games. And also completing the King of Kong Trinity... Steve Wiebe will be joining us to talk about the aftershock of King of Kong and also his brand new music CD that will be available soon. If you saw King of Kong, you know this guy can rock the progressive children's drum kit and tickle the ivories. So he'll be on to talk about his music CD as well as other good stuff relating to his high score and fame. Plus, another first for tomorrow will also be the... Addition of a new correspondent, 2PyR will be joining the We Talk Game correspondent community. 2PyR will be bringing his background in video game journalism to help recommend titles to the new PS3 owners. So come celebrate the two days of December 22nd with the We Talk Games crew, and let's not start! Let's go! Oh, yeah. Uh, the retro <laughs> review will be in tomorrow's episode. Uh, 
Keith, open it up. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik on the line. Satellite of Integrity, go! Oh, my gosh. Kyle Von Kubik. Yeah. You there? I am here. Can you hear me? Can I hear you? Yes. I can hear both. I can hear both. Both in my ear holes. Oh, my gosh. It's so stacked, this show. We're going to be bone dry for December. I I tell you. And now it's it's stacked. uh, It's a stacked show. And not only as that, always. not only as always, it guaranteed stacked. And not only that, we have a very, very special, genuine, pure announcement at the end of our little segment today as well. Yes, we do. In I, fact, it's been eating up both of our time a lot. It's great. It is fantastic. But we'll get to that soon. So many guests. It's like I think there's like 32 or 32 X guests, something like that. Just stick it in your Genesis, right? Right. So, yeah, it's a stacked show, as always, guaranteed stack. Uh, and, and next month, again, stacking up. Next month? We're not going to really have very much of a show. Let me tell you something. We're going to have one hell of a show next month. We are? It's going to be guaranteed. Very, it's going to be slimmed down. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll hear about it later on in the show. Big announcement. Uh, we know. Yeah, they we might know. not know. We know. It's behind the curtain. You'll see. I, 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 I'll tell you this. A diamond, a TV screen, and a gradiated rhombus. Stay tuned. Yeah. Hey, Wiggly. Yes, sir. Kyle Von games. Okay, since that's what we do here. Hit me with that wee bumper. I'm sorry, I don't do requests. Okay, well then... What do we let's, got? Let's start with new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii. Hold on. Can I get a... Can I get a... Go ahead. All right, so you and I made a couple pop shots last month about this uh, title. What do you mean? I'm just saying that it should be WiiWare, that's all. Yeah, and uh, let's dive into it. I mean, a lot of people are really jazzed about this game, still riding high with the nostalgia factor. And uh, we both got our hands on it. What do you think about it? You know, it's such... I'm such the proponent. As I mentioned on uh, this show in the future and on the last show, probably. I don't know. I mention it all the time. Constantly, I mention that... You know, video games, to me, if you see this pixel thing moving across and I trace it with a joystick, that, to me, is a video game. Correct. I mean, we can get as as 3D and in-depth and real, and I'm in virtual reality, but that, to me, is also a video game. But it's a virtual reality type of experience. To me, um, what what resonates most and makes me know, like, I, you know, if I momentarily step back from myself and I say, hey, I'm playing a video game, is if I see some pixels going around and some things like this. So, uh, this new, what's it called? Super Mario Brothers new Dude, Wii guy? Probably one of the, it, this should have been on the show where we talked about <laughs> bad titles for games. Yeah. New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii. Okay, new Super Bra- Mario Brothers, Mario Mothers. <laughs> Brownie for the, for, Brothers. Yeah. Buy new, some cookies. Yes. Do it all the time and, and get the mint ones. New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii is not a pixely thing happening it yeah. is polygons and initially i was incredibly perturbed and disturbed and and agitated by mario and luigi's and anyone's foreshortening sure. of their forward fist i gotta yes. tell you playing the game that's i don't even notice that at all and it's not really it's it's a non-issue with me yeah in case you were too- worried <laughs> Yeah. about how I felt about his foreshortening on his arm coming towards you. I was terribly worried. <laughs> I know a lot of people were. I got I got, I got uh, con- consolation uh, cards and things like this. So we can shut down that petition we started on <laughs> angelfire.com. It's not an issue anymore. Okay, very good. I've been playing this a lot with people, you know, other people, friends and family. Okay. And I would suggest you do the same mm. because you, that way you can experience the same awkward moments uh, <laughs> that I've been having when you call your loved ones 
vulgarities when they <laughs> knock you off a bridge or hit you into an enemy or go too fast and you die because the screen scrolls past you. And that's cool. I mean, the whole aspect of this game is you're playing with four people. Mm-hmm. This is what I don't like. When you're battling one another, it's great to be a jerk. But when you're trying to work together, right. more times than not, you get annoyed because people aren't keeping up with you or some person is having an issue with this area, another person's having an issue with that area, and you end up killing each other when really, at this point in the game, you're trying to work together. How do those tilt boards work when you're playing multiplayer? When you stand on a board, you have to tilt the Wiimote up or down, like a diagonally, and this, this makes is, the on-screen board go diagonal as well. Right, this is a great example of where having four people play at the same time gets annoying, People don't realize that they're in control of that little bridge oh, that goes board, back okay. and forth. Yeah. And they'll end up dumping the whole party <laughs> off of it because they're like, what? And then violently swing the remote one way, and then everybody <laughs> falls. And that's how you end up calling your dad. I see. Very good. Oh, Stinky, when did you get back in? <sighs> Nevertheless, He's in and out, this guy. I don't know enough. what's going on today. Nevertheless, you do have fun playing the game. I've been falling in love with it the more I play with it. The, there's not as many power-ups as I would have liked. The copter hat's okay. It doesn't have the same feel as the raccoon tail or the feather cap or may, even the um, rabbit hat in Six Golden Coins, Mario Land 2 on the Game Boy. Right. Like Those are all examples of power-ups that you could do a little sort of hovering or float. The copter hat's okay. You go right up and then you come right back down. I actually like the copter hat a lot because who doesn't want to put on a propeller beanie and fly with it? I like the look of it. I like the idea of it. I don't like shaking my remote to I make it fly. But how about um, uh, Yoshi eating the, the Hammer Brothers hammers and then spitting them back at them? Yoshi makes the return, and yes, he has a couple little nuances about him now. Yeah, you can eat the hammers that are being thrown your way and thrown back at the Hammer Brothers. That's it. cool. The penguin suit, I wasn't initially sold on, but I'm seeing like little things about it that are cool. Because I'm just like, I don't understand the point of this past the ice flower, which is another power-up now. Uh-huh. Other than you don't slip on ice and you waddle. You look adorable. I found out that you can actually run and slide across the water. And there's one particular level where you can actually just slide through the entire level on the top of the water. And you also swim, a la the frog suit in Super Mario Brothers 3. Mm-hmm. You can swim through the water with ease and quite quickly, and it didn't have the frog suit type of feel, because the frog suit was pretty linear in how you could swim through the water. You'd go left, right, up, down, and you'd do it quickly, but you're kind of just hovering there. Right. This felt more like going back to the Game Boy Mario lands uh, when you were in the submarine. Remember those levels where you'd be in the submarine shooting? Sure. It was kind of like that same control where I felt like I was in a submersible. So it was cool. I enjoyed it. So I'm kind of warming up to the title. I don't think it's a $60 title. I Mm. don't think it's worth dropping. I've seen $80, $90 on the internet. Definitely wait until the 15th of January. Get this in your num-nums. Only one shot at the Wiggly's World Mini Mall. Definitely. If you like Super Mario Bros. 3 a lot, and who didn't, you'll dig this game. It's kind of like a Super Mario Bros. 3.5. It's in the site. Yeah, it's on the site. If you go to the site, you can you can read about that, the Wiggly's World Mini Mall. I mean, it's all in the site. It's in the site. You know what else is in the site? What's that? Pro Gear Wear. Oh, it is! It is. It's the most natural way to show support to the We Talk Games podcast, your favorite video game podcast by far. But it's all in the site. It's in the site. And it's natural. Okay, let's talk about... A title that you, you touched on briefly, but maybe we can dig a little deeper into it. Excite Bike World Rally. 
Yeah, now I I gifted this to you. I know. I, hey, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Yes, Wiggly sent this over to me, and I couldn't be happier. Very good. This game, and I, I told this to you offline, but this game could be summed up like this: it's Excite Bike on the Wii. <laughs> All right, now what does that it mean? Really is. Well, that means that it's not Excite Bike sixty four. No, definitely not. Definitely it's not. It's Excite Bike on the Wii. It's not. It's everything that you've come to know and love and respect about Excite Bike on the NES. Just has some polish on it. It's prettier. It's got, like you said, a, a PlayStation 1, 2 type of 3D graphics going on, but it's on that 2.5D plane. Yeah, um, but they didn't they didn't do, like, enough to it to, to ruin it for you. And, right, no, they kept it cute. You, and, you got the little chibi motorcycle guy. And they did go far enough to still make it enjoyable and, and very good. And, and really, I mean, $1,000, that's not bad. Uh, a thousand Wii points. I know that isn't dollars. bad because that breaks down to roughly ten dollars. Yes, yes. But no, it's a lot of fun. It's a great experience. It has an online mode. You hook it up real quick. I don't find any lag or anything going nope. on like that. Uh, and it's Excite Bike. And juxtaposed to what I just said about how I don't like the waggle, there's actually two modes of controls with this game. You can play the traditional NES style. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you hold the remote sideways, or you can play this new Wii type of sensitive style where you still hold the Wii remote sideways, but you actually do a little bit of waggle to do the wheelies and the jumps. Pop and wheelie. I actually found that I enjoyed doing that. You it, liked it, popping a wheelie. It, it wasn't counterintuitive and it didn't feel forced, and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed Excite Bike back on the um, NES. So if you enjoyed that game, you'll enjoy this game. It's only 10 bucks. WiiWare pick it up you're gonna have a lot of fun yeah and i had to go back and play the original excite bike because i was like can can you pop a wheelie over your opponents in the original one because it just felt so natural and yes. the way that it looked and the way that every play and the way that this is presented to you it just i thought maybe you can and i must susp- i don't know how many wheelies i tried to pop over someone i was like well maybe i didn't pop it right you know and then i had to try to catch up on people in that b mode and uh there's there's a lot of gameplay in this if you love the excite bike you're gonna love this uh because i don't think there's anything wrong with it like i think you summed that perfectly it's excite bike um, yeah that's I mean, all you're gonna for get 10 out bucks, of bucks yeah. for 10 bucks you get a lot of tracks yep you, you get uh you can Track start to editor. customize your bike a little bit color wise or whatever right. but it's just like it, they didn't overthink it i think that's no. what really saved this title was it wasn't overthought it was what is excite bike and it came in at a 10 dollar price point i think that's perfect for this price to move it, it's great speaking of we and older titles and speaking of sleeper hits which we really didn't speak of, but I will speak <laughs> of now. A boy in his blob. Remember that great one? You feed your blob jelly beans and he could do different gimmicks and stuff like that back in the NES? Yeah, David Crane's uh, masterpiece. That was a masterpiece. And Albeit it was... broken, but it was it was a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, you could get stuck sometimes. But yes. it, it, was, it was a sleeper hit, and no more so is it a sleeper hit now on the Wii. Now, will it... Be a sleeper hit. Will people even know it's available? I don't well, know. Let's let them know that it's available. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is available, and it's pretty nice. And it, what a refreshing game! Uh, you still have blobs, and you still still feed them jelly beans, but it's presented more as one of these art pieces, more as like the braid. I know you've been okay. getting into braid lately. 
And yeah, I've been playing two fantastic new hot titles. I don't know if you heard about these. Uh, Peggle and Braid on the PlayStation 3. Yeah, uh, they, just, they just dropped on the store. They're brand new. Just came yeah. out. We're, we're on the trailblazers. Yes, yes. Well, we'll talk about those uh, in a little while, I hope. Sure. But I, I don't want to mislead anyone. This isn't Braid. This isn't you know some newfangled plane with quantum physics of time and things like this. Uh, this isn't an art piece like Flash. Hour. Oh, wow. This isn't uh, the stacked this show is. Yes. We got to get out of here. I know. Um, it, but it does convey a serene feeling to the player. So you are playing this. There are puzzles presented to you. You go through your little house that you're in and you unlock different parts of your house collecting different museum pieces i guess it would be coming you have like a sarcophagus and a painting and things like this you get all these little little things that you unlock these little prizes that you unlock and they appear in your house and then you can go into different parts of your house to enter different levels now you can reach different levels and you get different types of jelly beans and you feed your blood so yeah, it's, yeah. it's very nice. So they present it more like this art piece when you're back at your house to go into the levels, and then the levels are your standard types of puzzles. How does Blob help me go through this puzzle? Can he become a balloon, and then I go up some levels in a parachute and you know a ladder and the different jelly beans that you feed your Blob? If you haven't played Boy and His Blob, number one, it's a great game. Yeah. Uh, it's like Felix the Cat's Magic Bag of Tricks as a Blob instead of a yellow checkered bag of tricks. Yeah, let's be honest i mean i i joked about the original being broken because it did have some issues here or there but it was extremely ambitious the original david crane version sure and on the nes yeah it had a, i mean it, what a fantastic idea and it, it it really was something that was totally different for its time and we haven't seen many other games like that since so to see uh, wayward i believe is uh are the uh, people the developers behind this to take a good idea and make it a great game it's really cool, and I've been uh, chomping at the bit to get my hands on it. I just haven't been able to pick it up yet. Well, let me tell you, it's well worth it, and what a different sensation to play this now on the Wii in this new version as opposed to the trouble in Blobalonia. How many times have you hugged your Blob yet? You, you and, and you can hug them anytime you want. You know That's great. It's really nice. You have a special hug button. So that's all it's in the there. It's the little things. Yeah, it's it the is the little things. things. It is the little things. So I'm not, not really going to say too much more about Buenos Blob. Rent this title. Uh, try to get a hold of this. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And I think it's a great game to come back to because you can complete each level relatively quickly. So you don't have to just sit and play this an entire night, entire weekend or whatever. You can come back to this game when you're burnt out of you know shooting people in the face and uh, <laughs> hearing people curse. Through yeah, it might not have sense. enough space marines for some people, but... It looks like a very. It looks like my type of game. I, I think I'm going to dig it once yeah. I finally get a hold of it. And it's and only thirty five ninety nine new at the Wiggly Mini Mall, and that's a great price. Yeah. What else we got? Let's talk about something I don't normally talk about, which is a game for the PC. What? Yeah. Do we even have a PC bumper? Who has one of those PCs? <laughs> Let's talk about Captain Forever. I'm a PC, and I don't know any better. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Captain what? For Captain Forever. Wow! Now, have you, have you seen this? That's pretty long. Have you this out? No. All right, well, this is cool. Uh, visually, it's going to give you sort of this feel of 
uh, Geometry Wars, but it's not as fast-paced and it's not as flashy, but it has this kind of faux vector feel going okay. on. Okay, And digging it. what it boils down to is you're this little ship on this black grid and you fly around destroying other ships and you collect their pieces and click and drag them onto yourself and build a bigger and bigger and bigger, more massive ship. Oh, okay. It's really addictive. Now, there's not really much to say about it other than go to captainforever.com and you're going to find, I believe it's a Flash, it might be a JavaScript, but you can play a free version of the game. It's going to give you the idea of what this is. And really what it is, is it's highly addicting, and it's really cool if this is your type of game. And it is my type of game. And if you register for $20, you're open to a whole different array of enemies and weapons that you can do. But if you just want to try it out and see if it's your thing, CaptainForever.com. It's real cool. It's very minimalistic, simplistic. You use the WASD controls to fly your ship around the grid and use your mouse to click and drag the pieces onto yourself once you've destroyed other enemies. And there's just cool things going on. There's um, a, a communication link going on the bottom. And you can hear what other ships are saying to you, and some ships are friendly, and some ships aren't. And it's up to you whether you want to just blow all of them away or dodge this one because you're not big enough to fight it. And uh, it's the big fish in the little pond thing mm-hmm. where the bigger you get, the easier it is. But once you start out, it's going to be a little bit of a trouble gotcha. making your way through space. really cool. It's hard to explain, but it's a lot of fun. Check it out. CaptainForever.com and 20 bucks if you want to register and play the full version. Wow, these these top-down vector amalgam shooters are really making a surge right now. You have Sony getting into the game as well as Pixel Junk and now this Captain Forever. Yes. So uh, something, something must be really resonating with developers to want to make top-down vector shooters amalgams on the modern systems. I could say that we're going back retro, but the truth is, I mean, video games as a phenomenon are kind of like pretty recent, you know? So it's like, what are we? You know, what what makes a video game? You were just discussing this about a pixel moving across the screen or polygons moving across the screen. It's an exciting time. And with digital downloads and the arcade at home and the PlayStation Store, there's more and more of these cool, small games popping up that 20 years ago you would never say on a cartridge or a disc. Right on. And you, you mentioned that you just found Pagel. Now, are you addicted to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I've played Pagel in the past. In fact, okay. I believe it's the first thing that I reviewed on We Talk Games. Ah, yes. That's right. Uh, for the Xbox 360. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I recently got a PlayStation 3, and it was on the PlayStation Store, and it's a lot of fun. And <laughs> I bought it again. And I also uh, I bought Braid for the first time. I had played Braid in the past, just not, uh, you know, I haven't had it on my own system. Gotcha. And both titles guaranteed fun. I mean, if you haven't got them already, if you've been sleeping under a rock or you only have PlayStation or something like this. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't visited these titles, get them. Yeah, I finally put the kibosh on Pagel on my iPhone. If I didn't own this already for like eight different systems, I would gladly plunk down another 10 bucks on the PS3. But I just, I own it for everything. The Mac, I own it for the iPhone, I own it for the 360, and I own it for a bologna sandwich. So you won't be joining my peg party anytime soon. Kids, Maybe don't if they Google come out with peg party. Don't Google Oh, that. no, don't. don't. Well, hopefully they'll come out with Pagel Knights or something like that for... Hey, didn't someone mention Pagel Knights? Yeah, Pagel. Kenny. Yeah, that's it. Kenny was telling me about Pagel Knights. He said it was... Um, 
It was like Sonic and Knuckles. I have it for the Mac. Pl- you plug and play where you can you get another character and a couple more boards. So, yeah. but All yeah, right, definitely. Ch- you know what? Let's talk more about Braid a little bit, only because I don't know if did we ever dive into Braid? Not too much. Game? Not too. I, I, I mentioned you know that you you control time uh, to get to different levels and solve different puzzles and things like this. Yeah, here's an action platformer that has like I guess a 16-bit feel about it, but it, it's a lot more polished than that. Really artsy type of visuals, very uh, hand-drawn art feel. Yes, that's that's what I'm looking for. Very hand-drawn art, and you play with time. And each world that you go into plays with time a little differently than the last. And it's very heady, and there's a lot of thinking involved. When we were talking about it the other day, I kind of compared it to. Donkey Kong 94 or 95 uh-huh. for the Game Boy. And I don't know if that's really, if that is a good uh, metric to what this game is. I think this game, it's a little more deeper on the puzzle end sure. than the platforming. Oh, end. yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, if you like that whole gimmick and you like 16-bit platformers, if you merged and married those two and put a little hand-drawn art in there, that's maybe what you're getting. Again, it's 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 a thing of its own. Check yeah, it out. Because you're not only moving time back and forth, but you're you're manipulating how your physics are affected by you know gravity, uh, right. direction, momentum, and things like this, and how that plays into moving time backwards as you continue moving forward through time and forward through your trajectory and things like this. So it it, it makes for it's very difficult to explain. Yeah, <laughs> unless you have a PhD, I guess, <laughs> uh, like the developer did. But it's a a lot of fun to play. Once you allow yourself to play it. Yeah, one of my favorite worlds were the ones where you had a shadow you. So you'd run through the the part of the platforming that you needed to do, and then you'd rewind time, and then your shadow would do what you just did. Mm -hmm. And I liked how the puzzles integrated with you had to get your shadow to grab the key and jump into a pit and then meet him halfway before you could catch the key. Uh, again, I, I don't think I'm doing a good enough job articulating how interesting this game is, but check it out. It's a lot of fun. Very, very much so. And the greatest thing, once again, about 360 is the ability to, to try before you buy. Right. And I believe you can get a demo of this on the PlayStation Store as well. Very It's good. nice to see that the PlayStation Store is... Um, starting to do that. It's good. I, yeah, starting to do that and is getting titles from 2008. Awesome. <laughs> Now, I know that Stinky was negligent, and we were negligent in calling him out on this on this ongoing contest. So we'll end February 7th uh, for the T-shirt design contest. Now, if you don't know about this, you have to design a T-shirt. It's supposed to be one or two or a limit of three colors. Now, you don't really have to do all this if you're, if you're not good at designing. Even just letting us know the concept might be good enough. And then Stinky was going to try to draw it on the Etch-A-Sketch or something. It just has to convey, we talk games stacked. How stacked our show is consistently. Guaranteed stacked. And we already have some submissions, but uh, we forgot to tell you where to send that to. Send it to contest at wetalkgames.com. Bonus points to the people who have already sent their designs and were smart enough to know to send it to contest at wetalkgames.com. Some sent it to stinky at wetalkgames.com, but it still got to us. So it- Okay, cool. So that's that, and that's how you take advantage of our monthly contest that we like to give away. This contest, we're allowing for more time so people can really get their creative juices flowing. 
Now, this week, I asked our co-hosts and correspondents to come up with one bargain tile because this show is so stacked. This is a special under the tree, on top of the tree, super holiday stack. And also... Jingle bells. You ain't kidding. And also, it's time for us to try to do gaming on a budget because either we're going to be in the poorhouse from this holiday or after the holiday, we're going to want to get our best bang for the buck. So I'm asking each correspondent and contributor to name one game that is $15 or under that they must recommend any system you want. Go ahead, Kyle. Okay, well, I talked about the Wii. I talked about the uh, PC. I talked about the PlayStation 3. So now I'm going to talk about the Xbox 360. Okay. And the PlayStation 3 as well. Let's talk about Army of Two. Oh, yeah. This dropped way down because Army of Three, I guess, is going to be coming out soon. Yeah, <laughs> what no, are Army gonna, of Two. The Army of Two, two right? Coming. Okay, very good. Gotcha. Yeah, now you can get this at the Wiggly Mini Mall. For just under $20 new. But wait, this is a $15 deal. Yeah. Well, used, you can pick this up for well below $15. As of today, I saw it as low as $10 for this title. Fantastic. Now, why am I recommending this title? Well, I understand that the title might have put off some people. It kind of looked like your cookie-cutter run-and-gun game, your third-person shooter, maybe a Gears of War knockoff, mm. and the guys are wearing these metal luchador masks. So that might have been a put off to people like, what is this? You know, too, it's too space marine for me. Right. Well, it's very contemporary with its story. It takes place in a privatized military security team. Okay. okay? So this is stuff that's happening like now with like your, your Blackwater and things like sure, that. Sure, sure. So it, it's got this cool storyline about it, and it had a nice single-player campaign, but really the fun lies in playing with other people. And you can play it locally, you can play it online, you and a friend working together through this game. If you're going to play the single-player, you'll get some enjoyment out of it. It's like six to eight hours long. It's not that long. And the AI is okay, but really it's to play with other people. And the game's a lot of fun. It involves a lot more stealth and smart tactical moves than just running through shooting hordes of bad guys. You really have to have one friend go off to the side and aggro some enemies so they come to the right position so you can shoot a canister and just blow them into smithereens. There's a lot of teamwork involved in this game. And at 15 bucks, hey, Nana only kicked you $20 in that card. Well, guess what? You can have a lot of fun with this game. It still has an active online community. And that's really where this game excels the most, is in the multiplayer aspects and the co-op aspects. I guess it has so a lot you, better online community than TNA Impact, the game. <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> yeah, Cannot so connect to server. Midway's gone. Yeah, Midway uh, died. Yeah. Sorry. How about DC Mortal Kombat Online? How's that community doing? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> I'm going to guess terrible. Somewhere yeah. between non-existent and terrible. Right. But this game is a lot of fun, and it's not your standard run-and-gun game. So that's my recommendation. Check it out. Love it. Now, this is something I'm very, very, very excited about. I'm so glad. This was the brainchild of our own, Kyle Von Kubik. It is our first annual... We Talk Games Co-op for the Kids. It's going to be a yearly event. We asked some of our former guests on the show, on the We Talk Game Show, which is stacked, by the way, Always. every single month. And yeah, I heard it's guaranteed stacked. It is guaranteed stacked. Not only is it stacked. And some of our past guests were kind enough to donate items, which we'll be auctioning up on eBay. 100% of the proceeds will immediately go to the Children's Miracle Network. And some of these items are 
out of this world, one of a kind items. Tell them a little bit about some of the products we're going to put up on eBay for the We Talk Games first annual co-op for the kids. Right, and we're calling this co-op for the kids because it really is a co-op between us on the show, our special guests, and you, the listener. We're all going to get together and do something really great. Right. Um, th- these items, I mean, it, you want to see them, but I'll briefly talk about them. But go okay. to wetalkgames.com and click on the co-op for kids button, or you could go to ebay.com and search WTG4K, as in, you know, we talk games for kids. Yeah, the number four and, and, then, and then the letter K. Correct. And then all these items should show up. Right. And like you said, they're very unique. In fact, they're pretty much all limited in some capacity. Mm. Uh, Big thank you to Walter Day, Billy Mitchell, Greg Maletic, our pal Kyle from Jinx.com. They all donated these unique gifts. We have a special edition, collector's edition of Tilt the Battle to Save Pinball. You've heard us talk about this documentary. Oh, yeah. Love it. Fantastic. It's signed by Greg Maletic, the director. He signed the disc as well as the jacket of the DVD box. And this and is a special edition. This has like extra bonus disc that has extra right, this interviews. Is two disc like set. It's wow. Really cool. There's a lot of content on there. Walter Day sent us a litany of historical posters with Twin Galaxies involvement. So these are competitions and conferences that they were a part of in the past. Some that are probably older than some of our listeners. Sure. Going back to the 80s. And one in particular is um, very unique because it has about two dozen autographs on it, including Billy Mitchell and a lot of names that you've heard of if you've watched the Chasing Ghost documentary or the King of Kong documentary. I mean, Tony Temple and Todd Rogers and many, many other names are on this uh, poster. It's very cool. And speaking of video game champions, Billy Mitchell donated a hardcover book. It's the Book of World Records for... Pinball and arcade games. Now, isn't that the book that Walter Day worked on? Correct. This is the Twin Galaxies official video game and pinball book of world records, just for I say it correctly. Uh, it's the third edition, and it's a hardcover book. It's really thick. There's plenty of content on there. I mean, I'm just going to flip to a page right now. All right, Time Pilot. You remember Time Pilot? Sure, of course. Uh, 1982. Going eight ways, make it all happen. Shoot. Right. Jeff Peters, 15 million. That's his high score. Wow, try to beat that. You can't. Try to beat it. And you know what? There's a plenty of other games and autographed by Billy Mitchell. Wow. The perfect and score per- of Pac-Man. There you go. And speaking of Billy Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Bi- Billy Mitchell and Walter Day got together and they commissioned limited edition posters to commemorate this first annual event, We Talk Games Co-op for Kids. These posters are just completely out of sight. If you're a fan of Tim and Eric, you'll love these. You'll eat these up. <laughs> these were designed by Greg Hoos. He designed these posters. They're fantastic. They're going to be autographed by Billy Mitchell, myself, you, and Johnny Capcom as forged by you. Very good. Yeah, but this we, is amazing We talked to Johnny Capcom. If you do want his signature, you can send it his way. I'm sure he'll sign it for you. They are dynamite, as the kids say. But wait, it gets even more incredible. In front of me now are... 24 bottles of Billy Mitchell's own Ricky's Hot Sauce with the We Talk Games Co-op for Kids poster on the label. So the posters that they designed, they put on this label. So these are a limited edition run of his world-famous hot sauce. A limited edition of Billy Mitchell's Ricky's Hot Sauce with We Talk Games labels on them. Correct. (laughs) And the posters and the bottles of hot sauce are all numbered. All of these items can be yours. 
by going to wetalkgames.com, clicking on the Co-op for Kids button, or going to ebay.com and searching WTG, the number four, letter K. So uh, jump on it while you can. And again, 100% of the proceeds are all going to the Children's Miracle Network. Fantastic. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for making this all happen. Thank you, and thanks to all of our special guests who really came together and made this happen. Right on. Hey, I don't know if we're going to have time for the council later on today, but uh, just just hang tight, and I'll text you. Okay. All right, bye. Kyle Von Kubik. Kyle Von Kubik of We Talk Games. Great to have Kyle on. I don't know when we're going to have the Council of Video Game Millionaires on, actually. I don't know if we're going to have time for that today or tomorrow. But nonetheless, I'm very, very excited about our next guest. As soon as I heard about him, I did a little bit of research. And wow, this guy is quite interesting. And I'm also... Now, I'm actually leery about using this next gimmick that is in the studio here, humming. What? It'll work. I was tinkering on it earlier. I was thinking that makes me incredibly relaxed knowing that you were tinkering on it and putting it together. <sighs> but evidently, the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, as you know them, Wetgack Flipkleys, has been running a lot of focus groups lately, and they said the way of the future, the only way we can get people really, really interested in the industry guests that we have on the show, and believe me, I mean, <laughs> do we really need to make some of these people any more interesting? They're amazing! But the focus groups came back saying that they wanted to have the guests physically in the studio. That what was going to push us up another two points. And then when Wekak Flipglees realized how much it was going to cost to fly the people in to the studio, they decided to turn to the geniuses, the digital integration wizards at Rateem, of course, Rosenstein's Information Technologies Enriched Elbow Macaroni Corporation, to install this giant non-insulated transformer Tesla coil-like thunderball which has a sticker on it that says the Magic Suck 8000 4D Holographiti Cram Mars Delicious Virtual Guest Projector, also known as the Musasefaf de Hug Simdift. <laughs> to all the kids, we have the transmitter in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which, which is where Jason Rohr is, and this is going to beam some type of 3D holographic version of him to actually be live in the We Talk Game Studio. Let me adjust his mic, actually. This is... Everybody knows this is an audio program, right? Okay, well, let's switch it on there, Keith. Beam in Jason Rohr in his holographic splendor. Jason Rohr, congratulations and welcome virtually right to the Trapdoor Chicken Coop Studio and Karaoke Bar. I'm here. You're right here. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Amazing. Yes. Now, uh, you are like this. Uh, you are, wow. Where do you even start? Do you know where to start when you try to tell people what you do? <laughs> oh, well, uh, uh, two years ago... Or two and a half years ago, I was oh, just about two years ago. I was fetching uh, water bottles for people as a volunteer at a game conference. <laughs> wow! And uh, yeah, so it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride the past couple of years. Well, uh, really, it's only been two and a half years, and you've already uh, well, I was I was designing games before that, but no one okay. no one 
paid attention to them, really. <laughs> I see, I see. I picked up a couple of your titles. They're pretty much available for free. And yeah, people- yeah. I've made, I've made uh, 13 games so far. I'm working on number 14 and number 15 right now. And they're all so far have been available for free from my website. And uh, except if you have an iPhone, there's I've made versions for the iPhone that I charge money for. Um, sure. But uh, you know, if you want to get it on Mac or PC, they're all free. And you also a little bit of Unix there, I thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I shouldn't shouldn't neglect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shouldn't neglect Unix. Yeah. So they're uh, they can be compiled. You know, the source code is available for all of them as well. And so then, if you have Linux or some other flavor of, of Unix, you can compile them yourself there too. <laughs> So you have come into the limelight as a game designer. You're a very unique game designer. But how did you how did you get your start in game design? Well, I was a, a computer programmer for many years. Um, you know, I studied computer science in college and in graduate school, and I actually have half a PhD in theoretical computer science. Uh, then my wife and I had a baby, and I decided to call call it quits on the academia scene, and kind of went off on my own and did uh, release some peer to peer programs and some other things like that. One of my peer-to-peer programs actually was pretty popular at the time and, and still is getting downloaded quite a bit today. It's, it's called Mute. It was a, a fully anonymous peer-to-peer program that uh, was designed to uh, thwart the Recording Industry Association of America when they were suing individual people. <laughs> sure, sure. So anyway, that, I, I sort of ma- almost made a little bit of a name for myself in that sphere where I was you know, being interviewed and traveling around giving talks and so on about my peer-to-peer work. And then after I sort of had spent a year working on a project there and had really been a programmer for many years and knew how to program, I said, ah, oh, let's try making a game, you know, because over the years when I was learning how to program, I would sort of try to make a game, and it was really hard and kind of get half partway through it or a quarter of the way through it and, you know, not be able to do something. Programming games requires sort of all these multifaceted capabilities, right? Mm. Yeah, and a lot of grunt work. Well, and yeah, and you have to you have to like build the system that reacts and reacts uh, in real time to the person's inputs and so on, and it's to get it all working and get it all tuned and everything is a lot of work. So um, I, at that point, I said, "Let's make a game," and I actually made one and and released it. That was called Transcend, and I submitted that to a couple of independent game festivals. This was like probably four years ago now, and it got rejected by by them. <laughs> So then a couple of years later, I made another one. It was called Cultivation, and it got accepted by one and rejected by the other. And then that was my first sort of foray into hanging out with other independent game designers and going to a festival and so on. That, that was the, uh, the Slam Dance Festival, which is primarily a film festival, but they had this little game, game part of it. So I got to go to Park City at the same time as Sundance and walk around with all the movie stars walking up and down the streets in Park City and you know see all these cool movies and... Uh, and also, you know, meet filmmakers and have filmmakers play my game and so on. So that was sort of my first, like, little brush with success or whatever. Right, right. And uh, so that was exciting. And then pretty much since then, I've been doing nothing but game-related stuff. Sort of got sucked in. And then uh, in the fall of 2007, I released this little game called Passage, which is my most well-known game to date. Um, mm. It was made for a little... Um, independent kind of party at uh at the montreal international game summit called gamma where they they put out um specifications that you have to meet uh restrictions on your game design like your game design has to one one example is that your game design has to use audio as an input that was in a previous year the year that i made passage it was that your game had to have really low resolution oh okay visual resolution so i made a game that was only 12 pixels tall (laughs) by 100 pixels wide 
which is this little like almost like a web banner of a game. Sure, sure. And, yeah, I, uh, I've, I, this was one of the first titles I played of yours, and I right. played it on the Mac, and then I said, well, you know what, I, I have to play this on the go, and I got it from my, my iPod, so you got my 99 cents there. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. Yes, you're, that's how much I liked you're it. Supporting, I, you're supporting the arts. <laughs> I am. And, and uh, but, I but anyway, I so Passage, you play, when you play it on a Macintosh or, or even on an iPhone, you blow it up quite a bit. And uh, to get to fill the screen, and the pixels turn into these big blocks at native resolution. That is actual resolution. If you played it on your screen, it's probably a little smaller than your thumb. Wow! <laughs> and so it's this really tiny game. But you know, I, I use those those you know those sparse graphics in some uh, pretty meaningful ways, I guess, or very intentional ways. And then from there, it was just like people liked that game so much, and people blogged about it, and I got calls for interviews in the Wall Street Journal and all this other stuff that. Basically, uh, my career as a game designer essentially took off from there, and I made something like 10 games over the next year, and just really kind of sank my teeth into that scene and, and uh, just just did a lot of different stuff. <laughs> wow. wow. So it's, it was a, it's been an exciting... And then, you know, I, I don't know, Esquire found out about me and did this piece, and so that was another, like, publicity tidal wave, and I'm still experiencing the long tail of that, you know, where people are calling me up a year later and saying, I saw you in Esquire. Will you do this or this or this? You know, I don't know. So, And so when it went uh, an odd magazine to uh, <laughs> to latch on to you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, they well, they have this thing every year. It's like the best and brightest issue at the end of the year where right, they right. highlight uh, 20 or 30 people who are changing the world or doing interesting things. And they always like to discover someone who's kind of undiscovered. You know, that's their thing. They don't want to go and like pick andre agassi you know <laughs> for, because he wrote this biography or whatever right you know they want to find somebody who's sort of a diamond in the rough or whatever and and sort of be the ones to get them and in fact the the journalist who called me who was pitching the story to esquire was really adamant about me you know not doing any interviews with anybody else you know he's like you know if if, if new you know the new yorker calls or anybody else calls tell them no and i was like what do you mean <laughs> don't blow up yet Right. Well, yeah. Basically, if in the journalism world, if someone's working on a story and someone else at a different magazine gets that person and interviews them first, the other story in the other magazine is canceled. You know, right, only right. one magazine will do a story about somebody at a given time. So he was really worried about the story being killed. But you know, no one ended up calling during that time. So uh, he got the exclusive. You know, and and wrote a really long piece that showed, <laughs> talked about a lot of details of my life. And you know, I guess people thought it was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, your your life is is quite interesting. Now, do you play your life as a game, or <laughs> in a or way, you don't yeah, in get way into I do. it that way? Okay, in a way, I do. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the other thing about that article is, you know, Jason Pagoni is like an amazing writer. You mm. know, so he was able to sort of, I don't know, uh, yeah, I don't know, craft turn, a story, turn, turn my life into something beautiful. I guess if, <laughs> when the way the, the way that he wrote about it. Um, but yeah, I do. I do sort of. Um, I do sort of not not because I'm a game designer. I've been doing this for many years, but sort of from college on, I sort of you know was always questioning you know the default path that everyone has to take, right? Mm -hmm. That you know you're going to come out of college, you're going to get this job, you're going to work that job at that time, you're going to work that job for five years or so, then you're going to get another job that's even better, and then you're going to get another mm -hmm. job that's even better, and you're going to work your way up, and then you're going to who knows what you're going to do? You're going to be some manager or or department VP in some big company. And then eventually you're going to retire, you know. <laughs> and then when it's all over, you say, "What happened? Yeah, Where did my so life go?" For me, I guess the the, the turning. And this is kind of strange and maybe a little disturbing, but the, the one of the turning points for me was reading about um, Ted Kaczynski, who was the Unabomber, 
he was this Harvard professor, right, who kind of pulled himself off the rails. And, of course, he did some terrible things and hurt a lot of people with these bombs that he sent, trying to stop science, trying to stop the progress of science. But he was living at a cabin, I think, in Montana or something like that, right? And so the idea that this really smart guy, a former Harvard professor, would choose to go and you know, pursue this like, simple life in this cabin you know, was really fascinating to me. And, you know, so I sort of was talking to my friends in college about this. You know, wow, well, why, why do you guys want to go get jobs? Why don't you just, you know, get a boat and sail around the world? Or why don't you, you know, they were like, oh, you know, we want money. Sure, sure. <laughs> we want money. But, you know, I grew up in a relatively uh, well-off family, you know. So I, I guess there's this sort of that cycle, right, where people don't have money, so they want money. They grow up and really work hard to get a lot of money. And then their kids, you know, have money and don't really care about it. So then they go off and do something else. And then the next generation wants money again, you know. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But, sure. You know, I grew up with those material possessions. I saw that they weren't that satisfying, right? Um, and that I didn't find them to be that interesting. And I wanted to pursue things that I really cared about and not just get stuck doing something that I didn't like just because it made, made, it, made money. And so, uh, you know, I really wanted to pursue, you know, something that I was passionate about. You know, at first it was science and then, then computer science kind of stuff I was really passionate about. And then I sort of ended up, without realizing it, it ended up going down the sort of artist path almost, which is something my parents always forbid. <laughs> Whatever you do, Jason, don't become an artist. <laughs> um, so, you know, they wouldn't have paid for art school, for example, if I had wanted to go to art school out of, out of high school. Wow. Um, so I sort of always had that in the back of my mind. I don't want to be an artist. I don't want to be an artist. <laughs> and then, you know, lo and behold, I guess I'm sort of living the life of an artist right now. It's is. uh, it's kind of surprising. I didn't think I was going to end up here. <laughs> where, where did you uh, c- come from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Ohio. Okay. Um, and my, my parents own a, uh, a printing company there. If you go into a store and you see those like batteries with a plastic bubble attached to a card. Sure, sure. It's called you know, blister packaging. So they make those kind of cards for screwdrivers and G.I. Joes and all those light bulbs and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was something that, you know, printing is interesting in its own right, you know. But I, I don't know that my father was particularly passionate about the kind of cards he was making, it was just lucrative, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, Let's talk about mute a little bit. Now, this is something I didn't know about. Why is the music industry so embarrassed about their product that they have to try to stop people from wanting to listen? <laughs> you know, what are oh, they so embarrassed I, about? That, I don't. I wouldn't. Yeah, that that's <laughs> that's uh, a facetious characterization, right? <laughs> I mean, they you know they they uh, survive on this on this model where. They were the only ones who had the capability of making copies, right? Sure. I mean, they had the, you know, in order to manufacture CDs or even before, before that, even more so vinyl, you needed a big factory. And so, uh, you know, copyright was designed to protect the people with big factories from each other, right? True. Um, you spend a lot of money, you got a big factory, you're pressing vinyl or you're making books, you're printing books or whatever uh, with some, some author that you signed. And you don't want some other companies coming and printing knockoff books, right? <laughs> so copyright was there to say, hey, you know, this company's printing these books, this other company's not, and that's the way it is. And it was really easy to police, right? Because these people are big. They have addresses. <laughs> they yep. have equipment. They have buildings. So if so-and-so is putting out books that are knockoffs of yours, you can go and knock on their door and, and, and tape a letter from your lawyer there, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it wasn't really designed to handle the idea of, people giving copies to each other of things, right? I mean, that's essentially what... People aren't selling copies through Napster, if we go way back when. Right, right. Um, people aren't selling copies. They're just sharing them with, sharing them out of the goodness of their heart, essentially. I mean, once you download something from one of these peer-to-peer programs, it is entirely 
the goodness of your heart that keeps you doing the illegal thing, which is sharing it back to other people, right? I mean, if, if people just downloaded uh, movies from BitTorrent and immediately turned off their BitTorrent client in a greedy fashion as soon as they got it and didn't have any altruistic motive you know, there, Bit- BitTorrent wouldn't work. It depends on people being altruistic and wanting to share with each other, wanting to keep the whole thing going. True. You know, so, so the idea that you know, people are, <laughs> are being criminals by doing these person-to-person transactions for free, I mean, you know, copyright was never designed to, designed to deal with that. Correct. So they're trying to sort of bend this law to kind of keep their... There was a de facto monopoly, right? Only the people with the printing presses, only the people with the vinyl fabs, you know, could make copies. And they try to to say, well, look, no, actually, copyright gave us that monopoly. That's why we had that. When really, people naturally only want to pay for physical objects, right? Why do you think a hardcover book is more expensive than a paperback? Mm. <laughs> it's because you're paying for the physical object, you know? Why do you think you can get books for free at the library without paying the author a single penny? <laughs> You know, if if we had to do it all over again, these people would want to abolish libraries. Sure. I mean, really, right? Yeah. I go in and get books all the time without giving the author anything. I get movies all the time from the library. I get, you know, three movies a week for free. And the people who made those movies don't get a single penny from me. How is it supposed to work? How are they supposed to survive? <laughs> you know, so the same argument can be made against libraries, you know, as an example. True, true. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, why do you think people pay extra money for these big box sets and things of CDs? They're mm. not really paying for the content, right? They're paying for this, this physical thing. Yep. yep. Um, they will pay for it if they like it. Right, right. Well, it's all kind of, it's all kind of, kind of mixed up, I guess. I don't know what, what's really going to happen. I think technology will keep kind of trumping, <laughs> trumping them, right? I mean, BitTorrent is very, um, it's not really designed around any kind of security or anonymity or robustness, right? I mean, if you take down the BitTorrent tracker... Like Pirate Bay is operating, and the only reason it's still there is because it's in Sweden, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know if they go and they have they've taken it down a few times, and then they get it back up. And but if you go and attack that server and take it all down, it's over. But you know there's other technologies waiting in the wings that just kind of like something like Mute that would jump in and say, okay, well BitTorrent's down. <laughs> uh, here's this thing that you can't take down, you know, <laughs> uh, or even Nutella is something that you really can't take down. Right, right. Um, BitTorrent's the most efficient, but if they're gonna if they're gonna attack that, then something else will pop back up. So it's sort of this this arms race, really, you know. And I I don't know. It seems like how many years has it been going on? When did Napster come out? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been what ten years? Ten years more at than, least. More than yeah. ten years. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the fact that this is still going on is not a good sign for these people. <laughs> right on. <laughs> the fact well, that they I haven't mean, vanquished it yet. What led you to? I mean, I've been giving away my media for free as well. Uh, Two thousand six. So. That's when I, I think I started. Uh, what made you adopt this uh, give it away, and if people like it, they will pay you what they feel it's worth? I don't know. Uh, it sort of came over the year. I mean, I th- it came part of out of the open source kind of thing, because I, I became sort of an open source zealot. I guess one of these people who was like, yeah, Linux is amazing. Oh, yeah. you know. So I run Linux now, even to this day. I've been running Linux for like 10 years. And, um, and just seeing how great it was that you know these things were open and available when you had a problem you could like look online for a solution that somebody else has found and and actually apply it you know not get stuck with some bug that's not going to get fixed for two years because microsoft has that long of a queue you know and just that i don't uh oh that linux would support things that weren't in the best interest of a big company like microsoft you know where microsoft will now ship an operating system without OpenGL installed because they're trying to get direct 3d to be the dominant thing sure all these sort of anti-platform independent kinds of things that microsoft and apple are doing all the time trying Mm. to lock you into their platform that stuff wasn't happening on Linux, and and it just seems so so good.
good, you know, and it just works so well. And all the web servers in the world are run on Linux now, you know, because it's just so much better. So I was really excited about what was happening there. And it just sort of kind of grew on me, right? The idea that, hey, what the idea that we're going to tell two people behind closed doors in the privacy of their own home that they can't give my game to their friend. <laughs> it's just a strange thing to try to do. And so, you know, and, and if you read Thomas Jefferson or you read some of these people who've done a lot of thinking about this stuff, the idea that when Joe gives a copy of my game to Sam, it doesn't really diminish my use of that game at all, right? It's like someone lighting a candle for someone else, right? Yep. <laughs> um, you can keep spreading the candle flame on and on and on, and the original flame is not diminished at all. Um, so the idea that you know once you kind of release something out there, you really don't have control over it anyway, right? I mean, you can pretend you do, <laughs> sure. But you can't go into everyone's bedroom in the United States and tell them that they can't hand a copy to, uh, of this tape to their friend, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Sneakernet will prevail even if they shut down the internet. <laughs> so yeah, I just started started thinking along those lines, and it's just like sort of releasing that that sense of control. Once you get something out there, it's not really yours anymore, right? I mean, people right. are going to do what they want with it. You could pretend that they're not, but they're going to. Um, so definitely. just kind of letting that happen, you know? Definitely, definitely. And speaking of that, what, so what do you create on when you when you want to make a game? What What's your palette? How does it start <laughs> from idea? Where do you uh, go yeah, to Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I start off on paper um, in a notebook, just kind of writing down ideas. And I pretty much, for most of my games, have sketched out the entire design on paper first, which includes, by design, I mean most of how the game's going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the case of Passage, oh, you're going to be walking around in a maze, and the maze is going to be more dense as you go further south, and there's going to be these treasure chests in the maze, and there's going to be this woman you can run into, and when you run into her, you walk together. Like, all that stuff is in my notebook about Passage ahead of time, with some little drawings of how the screen might look, and, and how the screen will be compressed as you know go further off into the future, and so on, all these kinds of things so all that i have little sketches of how the screen's supposed to look i I start from there i sort of sometimes i'll even go sit out in the woods or whatever and and work on something when i'm looking for a lightning bolt but oftentimes you know some idea will just come to me and i'll just scribble down like 11 pages of notes about a full game design so then i have it pretty much done in terms of like how it's going to work and then i sit down to make it and i uh, for the case of passage I, i program in a native language like using c and um and passage actually i was putting pixels directly onto the screen but wow. some of my other games, I've used OpenGL for sort of... I'm not making 3D games, but I'm using OpenGL to draw some of the sprites and things on the screen. Right, right. And then for seven of my games, I had to make them in one week each because I was doing it for a magazine. That was for The Escapist. They wanted a game every month for me, from me, and I could really... Because of them out there paying me, I could only spend about one week on each one. <laughs> so I used Game Maker, which is an amazing tool for sort of point-and-click game development. Okay. Um, if you want a program, it has that capability, too, if you want to do something more advanced. But you could do a pretty complicated game just dragging and dropping and connecting objects together and defining relationships among the objects. It's sort of like the Photoshop of, of game implementation, really. I mean, it's really that good. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, and that's, like, free if you want to download it and $20 if you want to pay for the full version. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was that's an amazing tool. and I made. But the only problem is the games are Windows only. I mean, they're coming out with a Mac version soon, but they'll never, there will probably never be a Linux version. Right, right. So it's one of these closed-source technologies that I, <laughs> I don't like. I had to boot up Windows to use it, which d- didn't make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And when does the music come into these games? Well, in the case of Passage, Passage was designed for an event. Like I said, it was designed for a party. 
where they were they put out this call for games that had to be low resolution, and they got a bunch in, and they picked the best, I think, like eight games. And they had these big projector screens up inside this dark kind of club scene. And they had loud music play. They had people up on stage, DJs and techno artists and so on, up, up on stage playing loud music, and there was alcohol served and whatever. So there was no sound output for the game. So they said, you know, your game can't depend on sound. It's pretty much a waste of time to put sound in your game. So the initial version of Passage had no music or sound whatsoever. And when I decided I was going to release it for the public, you know, it's kind of strange. It's a silent game, and I guess it could have been. But So I, I wrote music for it at that point. But some of the other games have music designed into them, you know, from the very beginning. Like, in the design doc, when I'm writing down the notes, I'm talking about how the music will be dynamic and what it will do. Um, like in the case of Gravitation, which is the game I made right after Passage, mm-hmm. the music changes depending... The character's going through these mood cycles from yeah. mania to depression. And the music changes dynamically depending on the mood. And, you know, the player's sort of in control of the mood as they play the game. By the actions that they take, they can cause the mood to change. And so you, the music follows that, you know, dynamically. Um, and in my game between, you're building this tower out of blocks, and as you build the tower higher and higher, the music is, you're sort of adding to the music as you build more layers of the tower. So you start off with this very simple one track kind of song, and then kind of are adding tracks to it as you build the tower. So yeah, a lot of my games, I, I, mean, I really want my games to have dynamic music. I mean, in the case of Passage, the music was sort of this afterthought, you know, so it didn't really fit in with the gameplay. But in all my other games that have sound and music, they've always some sort of dynamic aspect to it. And you are just a sole, single-person game designer. That is right. <laughs> all graphics, sound, programming, everything. Soup um, to nuts. Somebody described me as <laughs> Somebody said that I, I code every part of the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I do, I do everything, and I, uh, at least so far. And I've really enjoyed that. I think people respond to that as well, right? Because they... Sure. When they get the game, they sort of understand that every aspect of this is someone's personal expression, and that's also something that's so so rare in the game industry because we've we've turned into this really large team medium, you know, which is like film, right? Film is a large team medium. Most Definitely. films are made by a large team, but yep. in film, we still sort of left room for the director to put his or her hand on it, and and oftentimes take credit for it as the author, you know, the auteur model where the director is sort of wielding the team like a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the game industry, we're not really doing that at all, where we don't really have one person in, in control. It's really a true team effort where you have, like, potentially 100 people who are all kind of collaborating, and maybe one person is sort of guiding the process, but not so much. So the idea that you can have something personal, mainstream video games really don't have any personal expression at all. You know? um, so the idea that you'd have a game that the whole point is a personal expression really stands out. And there's a, yeah, a number of people doing that now. A number of the people who are really pushing the medium forward are sort of these lone wolf <laughs> designers. I mean, it's, it's much easier to call someone an artist when they're working completely alone. Sure. You know, and like a painter or someone working on a piece of studio music or, yeah. or you know, or whatever, a singer-songwriter who's sitting, like Bob Dylan sitting up there with a guitar, right? Um, so it's, it's really easy to point to that person and say, oh, that person's an artist. Look at this thing they're putting together. Everything's all thought out, just out of, the, out of their head, you know. Yeah, I just finished Pagel, and I was sort of astonished when the credits rolled. It was a team far exceeding what I thought went into it. I mean, it's pretty complex for what it is, but I was really floored as the credits kept kept rolling. I don't know if some of them were just <laughs> jokes or their family or what, but it was... No, no, they're not jokes. I mean... <laughs> it was amazing. It was well, amazing, I mean, these credits. Like, I guess Pagel is one of those games that is like one of these high production value games, right? Where even though the idea is simple... Which is basically pachinko machine, right? Yeah, yeah, aimable <laughs> uh, pachinko. 
Yeah. Even though the idea is so simple, there's just sort of all these layers. You know, there's some animations that happen, sure. and there's little cutscenes and things, and then you know, there's just so much poly. And every time you go uh, advance through different levels, all the graphics are different, right? Yep. Like the they keep the backgrounds keep changing, and the 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 way the the particles are change a little bit, and so on. I'm sort of talking out of my ass here because I haven't played Peggle. <laughs> no, it, you're completely right. Uh, it, it, you know, they had a team for everything: a team for the for the explosions, a team for different characters on each level right. so you're, you're well and of course the you know every right. probably there's a bunch of different music that went into it as yeah. well and it's probably all original music so i mean there's this sort of idea that even in the casual game scene which is what peggle's an example of that you know these really high production values are what's going to drive you know something that's going to be a big hit i guess people do respond to that right when they look at a screenshot or something it looks pretty right sure so, do it's uh, a great game it's very addicting but uh, yeah i think when i look at your games i think bob dylan's a perfect example i, I do see these more and i come from a musical background background as well so i think that these are really like little songs happening uh, right, you know, right. more than a song but uh but that's that's what they are well, not really... necessarily i mean passage is only five minutes long right that's true that's true <laughs> and yeah. unlike a song people play passage only a handful of times at most right because you know, i might go back to it well, you, maybe you go back to it, but come on, you, 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 you're not going to play it as many times as you've listened to some, one of Bob Dylan's songs. <laughs> so, I, well, I'm not saying comparing myself to Bob Dylan, I'm just saying, you know, music has this sort of longevity to it, right? Where, you know, how many times have I listened to it, the Beatles a day in the life, right? Mm. But, but in the case of Passage, it's like you play it once, okay, you certainly haven't seen everything there's to see, so you play it again to see what happens if you don't take the wife this time, mm-hmm. or what happens if I try to go deep in the maze, does the maze have an end, you know, whatever, you try to answer some of these questions. If you even if you wanted to answer all of those questions to your full satisfaction, that's like probably five playthroughs total. And then after that, what's left except to sort of go back through it again? And, be, and because games are about interactivity and exploration and those kinds of things, unlike music, mm. music isn't so much about exploring things that you. I mean, everyone you listen to a song and you hear things you didn't hear before, but it's not so much about seeing things you completely weren't even on the screen before. <laughs> right, right. It's finite. Um, Right, right. And so so when a game, you sort of uh, run aground, if you will, or run out of gas in a game because you've, you've sort of learned everything there is to learn, it's really very natural to sort of cast it aside, right? Maybe you'll come back and play it again just to have that twins of emotion again or whatever. But, but the core of the game is sort of done for you. And that's a lot of mainstream video games. Both indie and mainstream video games are like that, right? Where they can be finished, where mm-hmm. you sit down and you play it, you get sort of everything there is out of the game, you sort of get the message the designer has for you, or you get to the end and beat the boss, or whatever it is, and then you're done with it and you move on to another game. And I'm sort of exploring alternatives to that, right? If you go and look at a game like chess, or you look at a game like Go, you never finish chess, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, and there's a bunch of other games, uh, you know, like these German board games like Settlers of Catan and so on that have this kind of property as well. And so just trying to figure out, you know, is this sort of really deep replayability one of the things that is really special about games, you know, and uh, is that what sets game, games apart, you know, or is the, the requirement of having another person involved in the experience with you what sets games apart, right? Because you could be on a, an island by yourself with a DVD player and a book and those would be great. But your chessboard is not going to be any use to you on that island by yourself, <laughs> you know. So, so it's it's really interesting that games can be this thing that you know require other people to experience and so on. And and we're not really exploring that in the mainstream or even independent video game scene because there are all these single player games that sort of are start to finish experiences where you where you kind of finish them and put them back up on the bookshelf. So yeah, so I think there's um, we're still figuring so much out about what makes our medium tick and how we're different from board games if we are, and all these other questions um, where we really don't even 
like I, film is film is sort of settled on this vocabulary and and settled on a way to make interesting artistic statements and so on. It's settled on that forty years ago. Right, right. You could turn the screen sideways like Brian Eno, but you know, but then that's that's about as much as you could do. Uh, <laughs> right, but right. video games is is this huge palette. I mean, it goes in so many different directions. Right, and it's sort of in a, in a way, it's a superset of of all the other mediums, right? Because you know, if you really wanted to, you could use a PlayStation Three to make something that looked like a film, right? Right, sure. <laughs> all you had to do was play a film. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it does play films. It does it so, all. Yeah, it does it all. Yeah. So, so and and music and all these other things are part of it. And you can make the game once you trim the interactivity out of it, it basically turns into a movie. Sure. Um, so we're kind of like you know, the starting point is, well, we can at least do that movie thing. What else can we do? And we're trying to f- sort of figure that out. Um, so that's part of our problem. I think it's this sort of embarrassment of riches where there's just so many possibilities that you don't really know what to do. And then people just kind of copy the last successful medium they knew, which is film. <laughs> um, right. so, so we're still trying to figure out, well, is there something games are going to offer that's completely different from that? And what is that? And how is inter- interactivity going to be used to deal with characters and stories and things that are important to people as opposed to just shooting things. My friend Chris Hecker says that, you know, the easiest uh, the easiest film to make is people talking. Just stick a camera in a room with some friends and let them talk, right? Mm. Whereas the hardest film to make is spaceships flying around shooting lasers at each other. Whereas the easiest game to make is spaceships flying around shooting lasers <laughs> at each other. But the hardest game to make is a room with a couple of people talking to each other, right? So it's, he's talking about the grain of the medium, right? What's easy and hard? And, uh, and yeah, so we've had a lot of trouble, you know, tackling things that are meaningful to, you know, someone over thirty. <laughs> You're sure, right? And I got to tell you, I was tickled that Passage was moving, and yet it was a video game. You know, there's no mistaking that you're playing a video game. Right, right. Although there were a bunch of. Uh, you know, detractors uh, on uh, comment rolls on blogs and so on. He said, yeah. This isn't even a game. All you do is hold right the whole time. And then someone would come on well, and, you could do that, and say, Try pressing the down arrow, you idiot. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you can walk down too. Uh, listen, oh, I, I didn't I get notice that. that. I get that every single week I release a video podcast on YouTube, and YouTube is the worst for anonymous comments. And no matter what, every single week, every show, the quality is terrible. It's a 300 meg file that has a giant banner that says the quality will improve after this video is done being processed. And yet people still feel compelled to type. The quality is not as good as last week. What? Because what, what <laughs> YouTube like throws up a, a, like a preview copy until they're done processing it? Is that how it works? Exactly. And it, oh, but it says that. it in the giant banner above the video. <laughs> And yet the right. people will still type, it's not as clear as last week. <laughs> so this yeah, is what we're dealing yeah. with. It's the internets, right? <laughs> yes, you can't design for those people. If you do, Well, I guess you could. That might be an interesting game. Yeah, yeah. Try to hit the lowest common denominator square. <laughs> right between the eyes is where you want to hit them, right? Yeah, you just have um, to make it complete sensory immersion immediately in every second. Right, yeah, but I mean that, you know, you talked about how Passage is 100% game, and that was really my intention behind it. I, you know, I, I wanted to do, do something that dealt with things that were somewhat important to people or had some sort of meaning to someone's life or something, but I didn't want to do it with cutscenes or mm. with, like, characters talking on the screen and so on. So I cut all that stuff out, you know, from the get-go, I never even thought about putting cutscenes in or, or dialogue or anything like that. Like, what can you do just with interactivity? And, and, you know, of course, I guess in terms of 
specifics, it's, it's a very sort of general game, right? Because it's about sort of this anonymous man and this anonymous woman, and you don't know anything about their personalities or anything. So, you know, it doesn't really delve into specifics the way like a movie would, where it would paint a portrait of these characters and so on. So it does sort of miss that. And I guess that's, that's one of these things that we're going to struggle with, right? How do you make things more specific in terms of individual people or individual stories or whatever and at the same time keep it interactive and i mean there have been a couple of fits and starts in that direction but uh <laughs> it's a really hard problem so that's why people keep falling back on these non-interactive things like cutscenes and whatever but there's a number of us here trying to say well what can we do even if we don't worry about trying to solve that problem uh, which is what like a game like passage does you know Right on, man. Hey, well, I got to tell you, you know, it's just as interesting behind the other side of the keyboard as it is uh, for your games. And I'd love to send people to check out your website. How do people find out more about you? Probably a Google search is the easiest thing. Google uh, my name, Jason Rohr, R-O-H-R-E-R. And uh, you'll be taken to my homepage right away and some other things that I've done and so on. And uh, you can go from there. All my games are on my homepage uh, as free downloads for Mac, PC, and Unix or Linux, and uh, a and lot of, more because uh, you do a lot more. You do the writing, you do the music, you do the books. Oh yeah, well there's all there's all sorts of other stuff on there too. Yeah, <laughs> and on iPhone, I have two games on iPhone. So if you search in the App Store, uh, you'll see uh, Passage. If you search for Passage, it's ninety nine cents, and my puzzle game Primrose is two dollars and ninety nine cents, um, and they can both be found in the App Store. Very good. I'm going to check out that Primrose. Now, do you play any games, or don't you have time for that? Well, as I've gotten older, my interest in, in games has sort of diminished. Because so you I, make, make ones because, that you well, because, game, because the I've sort of outgrown what the game industry is producing, mostly. Sure. Um, so it's gotten to the point where there's like, in terms of the mainstream games, there's like one or two games a year that are slightly interesting to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'm kind of going back and, and hitting some peaks that I missed in the past. Uh, I'm playing Indigo Prophecy on the PlayStation 2 which is a pretty interesting game, a sort of an interactive story kind of game. And then I'm playing, um, I'm playing Half-Life on the, on the PC right now, which I'd never played. Imagine that. Oh, Half-Life 2. <laughs> yeah. I've never played Half-Life 2, and, and people are always talking about it and sort of playing through it and kind of like groaning at how long some of these segments are where you're riding this jet ski through the swamp or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, is this going to end? But I'm trying to get to the gravity gun. I haven't gotten to the gravity gun yet. <laughs> and that's what right. everyone's telling you about. Yes, I have big name titles still on the shelf for a couple of years. They got dust on them. Right, right, yeah. So, and I, I, I do keep up with what's going on in, in like the art game scene. You know, I mean, every month or so, there's some new artistic kind of independent game that's coming out. Mm-hmm. So I, I play all of those and, and think a lot about those. Um, those are usually, you know, pretty high density experiences that are really worth my time. You know, I don't have to sink forty hours into where where thirty of those hours are riding a jet ski around in a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I do I do try to keep up with those, and I also you know go back and try and hit things that I've missed. Um, I also I'm, I'm playing a little bit of Splinter Cell Chaos Theory because uh, one of my friends, Clint Hawking, designed it way back when. Okay. So you know I, I try to play some friends' games and so on. I played Far Cry Two a little bit last year, which which Clint also worked on, which is a pretty interesting game. Okay, very um, good. But uh, yeah, there's a few high points. You know, there's Bioshock, uh, Portal, oh, yeah. Far Cry Two. There've been a couple, or Little Big Planet. I mean, there's there's cool things happening. This year was a real dry year, though. You think so? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We, we I've been talking to some friends about that. Like, what was the best game this year? And people can't really. <laughs> Fallout Three? Oh no, that was last year. <laughs> I honestly think it was Trials HD, which is pure just adrenaline and you know fun. There's not a lot uh, happening cerebrally, but uh, what what is that? A racing game? No, yeah. I don't even know what it is. Well, see, that's the problem. It has the worst name ever. Trials. But, uh, 
Trials HD. It's for the uh, the Xbox 360, also on a Mac and PC. But I would I would play with a controller, and it's just like it's Excite Bike to the nth degree with explosions and boulders and a lot of finesse, and nothing like Excite Bike at all. But it it still it gives you that Excite Bike it's a, it's sensation. A, it's a it's a, um, a dirt bike racing game. Well, you no, know, it's all in a closed course. In fact, it's in it's in a giant warehouse, warehouses that don't exist. And there's all different types of wooden ramps and boulders to try to go over and thing. Huh. And you know, you can't hit the explosions or they will blow you up. And it's it's very so it's well done. To be, oh, so it's supposed to be um, like illicit underground racing or something. Yes, like they're, they're, uh, they're in these warehouses and they're not supposed to be there. You're only challenging yourself to a time trial uh, huh. and your friends. Right, right. But, it's, but you're uh, on a motorbike. Yeah, you are on a motorbike. Okay, okay. And Got you can really, f- really finesse it around. So not a lot in the cerebrally uh, stimulating and growth. You're not going. It's not like going to a library. Uh, but <laughs> for fun factor, I think it's one of the it's best. The game games of the year. year. Yeah, definitely. We've got it. We've got it. And, well, and actually, it's, out of, uh, it's out of the same um, company that brought you Monster Truck Racing Thing Turbo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which yeah. uh, nothing like this. So, definitely <laughs> Actually, trials. The, the game, the game of the year for me is this uh, little independent game called Spelunky. Have you played Spelunky? I have not played that yet. You, that that is on your list to download today, sir. I will go do that. <laughs> it is. The, I would say it's close to being the game of the decade. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> it turns everything on its head and uh, and is 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 really fantastic. I'm all for that. Now, what are you going to do next to turn your world on its head? <laughs> yes. Well, um, I'm currently working with a publisher, Majesco. Uh, on, a, on a game for the Nintendo DS, which will actually, at least the plan so far, is to be sold as a cartridge uh, in real stores and real boxes. Fantastic. Um, so it's a DS game that will also take advantage of the DSi's camera if you have a DSi. It's a game about diamond traders operating in Angola in, during the eight months preceding the uh, UN's passage of the Kimberley Process for Diamond Certification. <laughs> Uh, so it's a it's a two player strategy game with incomplete information and 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 sort of spying on each other and that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, I'm uh, more than halfway done with it. I've been working on the artificial intelligence over the for a single player version of the game over the past month. Uh, but other than that, the gameplay for two players is all done wow. and should be released sometime in 2010. That's the plan. Well, Jason, definitely keep us in mind. You're welcome to hologram back in. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's a little like peanuts in here. What? Oh. 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 That's not good. I put it out. Well, I got my winter wonderland, I guess. And, uh, that does not smell pleasant. Jason Rohr, one of the most eccentric video game creators, I think, of the modern age. And definitely leaving a lasting impression thanks to our friends at Riteam with their holographic exploding virtual guest here. Virtual guest generator, I guess. <sighs> Keith, play the portable gaming bumper. I'm going to go open a window and then let's get Jaden online. Gaming.
Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Jaden, go. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Am I going? Keith in the booth. He's giving me the thumbs up. Both thumbs. Oh wait, Ooh. three thumbs. Gross. Oh wow, I feel I feel special. Yes. <laughs> what you got for us this month? I got some wonderful things to uh, to give you some good gaming without stretching the pocketbook too far. Oh, very good. Got some, got some awesome budget titles. Two of them for the iPhone and one for the DS even. Oh. So I'll go ahead and I'll start with the iPhone ones. Uh, first one is ADD. It stands for Addictive Dumb Distractions. <laughs> it's a great game. It's out by Iugo. Fairly recent title. If you pick it up now, it's on sale for $1.99. Which you can't beat a dollar ninety nine for a video game anymore. Now, so I said that everyone, please bring in one budget game for a special holiday super saver, super secret, over the top bargains they don't want you to know about on this, today's show, and you gave us three. Yeah, I got you three of them. And what distracts me with this game? Well, have you played WarioWare for the DS? I have. It is WarioWare if Kevin Smith wrote all the minigames. Very adult version of WarioWare. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I mean, there, there are so many warnings on this game on the iTunes store. It's kind of silly. Okay. It puts a whole new meaning to tilting the ball into the hole. Yeah, it's more like tilting the ball of food through the guy's intestines so he can crap it out. Oh, I see. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of uh, interesting, I guess. In a crude way. Um, I've only had this for one day. I've been waiting for the price to drop before I bought it. Uh-huh. Uh, again, I'm I'm a bit of a uh, a poor person, so I was waiting for it to drop from three dollars to two dollars. But uh, we won't get into that part. <laughs> so I've had about one day to really have some experimenting with this, and it is really hard to put down. I see. Again, like WarioWare, it'll start out a level. It gives you a little countdown from four to zero before it'll start. And it's got an icon in the top left to show you what control scheme you've got, whether you're tilting forward, back, left, and right, or if you're rotating the device, if you touch it, if you have to pinch, if you flick. It'll let you know before the game starts. Okay, that's good to know. But then you have to figure everything else out on your own, and you've only got a couple seconds to do it. Right, right. It ranges from uh, swimming away from sharks to having to down a whole bunch of shots, helping a robber steal money and not worthless things, popping zits on someone's face. Oh, perfect for the pinch. Exactly. Now, uh, when you have to pop the zits, do you, do you press out from the pimple or do you actually squeeze it in? Uh, I was squeezing them, but I okay. haven't tried the other way. I'm okay. tempted now. Because that, that helps your complexion more if you do it that way. I will have to keep that in mind. <laughs> Okay, this is degradating into uh, probably the level of crudeness that this game uh, presents. Exactly. This game is just really, really crude, and you can't help but giggle when you play it. Sounds fun. So uh, I'll go go over to to one of the next iPhone ones. Okay, cool. Uh, I've got uh, Song Summoner, the Unsung Heroes. Okay. Uh, that's out by Square Enix. So yeah. you know it's going to be a big, fancy RPG just by the uh, the manufacturer. Wow. So Square is on board now with the, with the old iPhone there. Oh, Square's got about half a dozen games on here now. I did not know that. Oh, you got to check these out. These are actually a lot of really good ones, too. Yeah. Uh, I think there's even talks about bringing a Final Fantasy over. How about a Tobal? Tobal number 8A. I would like that to happen. Uh, I've heard about 8C. I don't know about 8A. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Tabal series is probably done. But I, I was a huge fan of Tabal. Uh, Tabal number 9 and Tabal number 2. 
Alrighty then. Yeah. Great character design and, you know, a decent fighter and the, the push pull system. I don't know if you remember that for the, for the. No, I'm not okay. familiar with it at all. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting because it was a fighting game, but it was based on sort of a, a push pull type of lockup. And you would first lock up and push and pull your character around and then do moves out of the, out of the lockup. And, you know, they were like robots, and, and it used an interesting form. Instead of polygons with texture maps and stuff, it used that Garard shading. Using mathematics instead of texture maps. It also was one of the first fighting games of the 3D genre to implement a little dungeon crawler with your 3D character to find different power-ups, unlock different people. And when all, when all was said and done... You had like a hundred people that you could fight as, and this was all from the brainchild of um, the creator of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and Doctor Slump, Akira Toriyama. Tobal number one came out in the United States. Tobal number two was never released in the states. And one of the big selling points of Tobal number one, even for the Japanese version, was the inclusion of the Final Fantasy VII sampler CD. So people were buying this game just so that they could play, you know, two levels of the Final Fantasy game. And and the demo that they gave you, of course, you were already super powerful and summoning giant ice phoenixes and stuff like this. So and flooding the entire stage. And no one had ever seen anything like that portrayed in a video game before that time. So both for the more PlayStation games, one. More games need to do sampler CDs. You know, it's it's something. It can it's, help it's again. It's free advertising. It I is. I mean, it gets people to buy your titles. Yep. Well, I guess now with DLC, they think everyone's just going to download it. But there's people out there that uh, can't do that yet. So, yeah, it's not a bad idea. What goes on in Song, song Summoner? Well, first part, I want to give you the price point because that's one of the, the things that makes this game a little interesting. It's one of the more expensive iPhone games. It's $10 for the full game okay but there's a free version that you can try out before you play it so there's a free demo which the demo suckered me in really badly the main objective of this game if you've played final fantasy tactics you know how to play song summoner it's set up like a grid you control your fighters you move around you try and get good angles on the other team of enemies and you just beat the crap out of each other with weapons and magic that's the simple part of it okay now the part the part that makes this game really, really, really cool is to get your fighters, you have to pick a song from your iPhone or iPod, whichever one you're using, and it will randomly generate a character based on that song. Wow. And the characters will be either bronze, silver, gold, or platinum rank, and then they'll be either grade A, B, C, or D, or S. I always forget about the S for the <laughs> highest one. Sure, sure. The Japanese games love the S. Yes, they do love that. The first letter of the alphabet, S. The higher the ranking, the less times you can use this character in combat. So you have to think about when you want to use the stronger ones. Okay. Then the really fun part is the experience system. When you make these characters, if you listen to that song in between the next time you play the game, that character will gain XP based on how many times you've listened to the song. Oh, wow. Yeah, this game has got me creating new playlists of music for me to listen to just so I can gain experience in my characters for the next time I boot the game up. I like to mess with my iPhone as I go to bed. You know, that last thing you do before you go to sleep. I'll watch a video. I'll read news. Well, lately I've been turning on Song Summoner and creating characters out of songs using the shuffle feature. And I've had nights where I'll do this for two to three hours before I finally go to bed. (laughs) 
well, I've never great. found something that addictive. And any idea what the time investment on this game might be? Well, I've already put about 20 hours into it myself, but again, a lot of that's been character creation. Okay, very good. Um, The story, I think the story is supposed to be about 30 hours. Wow, okay, so that's that's pretty standard for handhelds, downloadable types of games as far as uh, investments in in more adventure-style games. You're going to get your $10 worth, I can guarantee that much. So it's it's definitely a great RPG to pick up on the uh, the iPhone if you're looking for a good RPG to play. Right on, man. That sounds. I might have to check that out. I'll never get to play it. Yeah, you'll you'll have to find your iPod first. <laughs> hey, oh, I found it. You found it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for worrying. Yeah, it was it was at the space where I, I shoot the go go's. It was underneath some clothings I had to put to the side. Oh, I thought Fire Ant had moved it somewhere. In he there. he probably was stacking things up. Yeah, he was probably stacking things up. Hey, speaking of Akira Toriyama, what do you got yeah. for the DS? A, an oldie I, but a goodie. Oh, it's an oldie, but it's excellent. I'm playing it through for the seventh time now because wow. I can't get enough of this game. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's called Dragon Quest Heroes Rocket Slime. And I guarantee you can find this used anywhere for probably about 10 to $12 tops. It's another one by Square Enix. Mm-hmm. It's a two-dimensional action platformer where you play as one of the little blue slimes from the Dragon Quest series. Right on. And you have to save your town of slimes. You're going to use things like uh, what they call the Elastoblast to uh, stretch out and blast into enemies. And you can pick them up and put them on your head and throw them at other enemies. You can pick up items and throw them. And at the same time you're doing all of this, you're collecting items and sending them on little carts back to town for you to use as ammo in one of the game's best features, the tank battles. What the tank battles are is you summon what's called the Schleiman tank (laughs) to battle other tanks. And inside this tank, ammo will drop out of chutes that you've set up your ammo list ahead of time. And you pick it up and throw it into either a cannon that shoots high or a cannon that shoots straight. And the other tank is shooting back at you. If the ammo collides, it'll fall out of the air. If it hits the tanks, it does damage. When you've damaged their tank all the way, you need to go into their tank to destroy the heart of it. And if they damage your tank enough, they can come into your tank and do the same thing. I, I don't know what it is about this game, is whether it's the collecting the ammo or mixing ammo together to make new ammo mm-hmm. or just the tank battles themselves, but I cannot put this game down. So it's not like any other game, I guess. No, I can't think of a single game to compare this to. But, again, it's just such a good, well-rounded title that I think just about anyone that plays it is going to love it. Right on. Seven times through. How, what makes you keep coming back to this game? I've played everything I've got in the house that I feel like <laughs> playing at the time, and then I look at that and go, hey, I haven't played this in a month, and I pick it up and start playing it again. And you have a great time. Yeah, it takes me about four days to make it through the entire game because I literally can't put it down. The entire game's about, uh, I'd say, 14 hours if you try and do everything. All right, very good. Hey, Jade, thank you so much for your contributions this month. It's a stack show, if you didn't know. Flower people, the people that did flower. Hey, I'll talk to you next time. You got it. Bye, man. Always great to hear from Jade, the eternal music.blogspot.com. To hear some of Jade's new music, he's just dropping it. It's all for free. Go to the eternal music.blogspot.com. Speaking of blogs, uh, Stinky, we really haven't heard too much from you this episode outside from tinkering and putting out the flames. TT's not even in the studio today, and 
After all the stuff that went down last episode, I mean, with all that, how are you feeling? I'm 87 years old. I work at the Foot Locker at the mall. And I'm about to become the father of an android. How do you think I'm feeling? All right, well, chip her up there, bucko. Let's go across the sea. Let's get John on the line. And it's Scarcy, go! Johnny Capcom on the line. Hey, man, what's going on? Playing a lot of uh, video games recently, and I understand that there's a um, movement, if that's the word, to get some uh, bargain releases to the listeners this month. And my games this month are actually all bargains. Oh, now that's exactly what Jade did as well. He gave us all bargains. So I'm glad that you picked up on that theme and ran with it. Yeah, well, you can buy all the games that I'm recommended all together for about 21 euros, and there's four of them. But, Holy um, mackerel! Very the good. first game is Stranglehold. <laughs> and uh, I was, of course, watching the video that uh, Kinetic Card put together of Eric Alex and his review of Stranglehold, mm-hmm. featuring yourself. Yep. And uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I got this game for six ninety nine in GameStop around here. Sure. So anyone else should be able to find it for similarly cheap prices. Eric Alex obviously put this game over perfectly. Uh, I'll just mention one or two things I like about it. First of all, uh, the fact that you seem to be playing levels. You progress up and up and up. It has that kind of old school kind of uh, Final Fight feel to it. Obviously, it's a 3D shooter or you know action shooter. Sure. Really feels like that, uh, where you you know you just move on, and there's a boss, and then there's another stage, and mm-hmm, a yeah. lot of fun. Looks good. Uh, you gotta love that Unreal Engine. Yeah, you know, I think graphically it might be a little bit of a step back to what people have gotten used to over the past year or so. But once you start getting into gameplay and the fluidity and and the other elements, I think they they certainly overcome what it might be lacking graphically. Well, I think Space Invaders 95 is a perfect game graphically, so I'm probably not, you know, down with what the kids think. You're not at all uh, into the Space Marine games, the newest Space Marine game to come out then, I guess? No. Okay, very good. wouldn't be able to tell you which latest ones are. Was it uh, Halo Modern Warfare? Uh, Yeah, I think Halo Modern Warfare just uh, dropped. Uh, Some kid didn't like it very much. I think he was from the UK. He ended up punching a wall. Yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> the other thing I like about it, for some reason, I just like the reference to Desperado, where you're dropping guitar cases full of guns. Uh-huh, That's pretty uh-huh. cool. Gotcha. And uh, one thing I have to say, Guilty's pleasure in games for me lately, shooting other men in the penis with a precision <laughs> aim. <laughs> There's just nothing funnier than watching someone grab their crotch and, like, you know, well, blood flies out of it. <laughs> or when you shoot them in the mouth. Uh-huh. And you just go, rah, 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 holding it. I don't know, it's a sick pleasure, but I do get a lot of fun out of it. They really put a lot of work into this game, and it's very satisfying. It's, I think that's what we came to the conclusion of with Eric Alex. It's very satisfying. Yeah. And uh, did you know that the song Stranglehold by Ted Nugent was at the end of Kinetic Card's video? I did know that, and that is actually a very acceptable song by Ted Nugent. Yeah, well, I didn't know that, and apparently half the world didn't, so hopefully more people know now. Very good. But, uh, Tell the world, spread the gospel of the Nuge. Yeah, or not at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, Wango Tango's high energy rock and roll, but that should be about it. Anyway, the next game was uh, Phoenix Wright, Trials and Tribulations. Okay. 
and this cost me 10 euros and it is excellent and this is for the nintendo ds or for the wii or what is this for? oh it's for the nintendo ds okay i think it's the third in the phoenix Wright series of games but uh it's only the second i've played mainly because i couldn't find injustice for all the second part Mm -hmm. essentially what these games are are logic puzzles where you have to kind of use occam's razor basically to get to the point of why a certain crime was committed and then you have to defend your eccentric client i guess the word is right and, uh, they just capcom when they put this game together they just really went all out and made it the like the weirdest possible lawyer game there is which is the only way to go because i mean if you've ever sat in a courtroom and watched lawyers do their business it's not exciting sure sure the art style, excellent. The humor is really good. Uh, the storytelling is a bit weird because, I mean, there's certain psychic elements to it. The characters themselves are really entertaining. Like a young Phoenix Wright in the first case, he's this kind of love struck idiot. And then in the next case, it's present time and he's, you know, the up and coming young lawyer. And then there's this guy who drinks coffee all the time. Uh, in a game where you have to make sense of things, there's not a lot of sense to be made. But I think it's that unbalance that kind of makes it special. And it's a really fun game. I mean, have you played these yourself? I want to. I'm ready to. I just haven't sat down and and delved in. It's one of these games where I think I will be obsessed with it. And I don't want to have to yell, I object! When I'm, you know, people are trying to take a poo next to me in the stall or something. Well, that's kind of half the fun, really. You know, you're on a bus in the middle of Wales. Yes. uh, Let me hear how that comes out over there. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're traveling down the valleys, and then, you know, you just shout, and some old person, like, gets frightened. Let me, let me, let me hear you in a canyon when you do that. Go ahead. Oh, me right now? Yeah. Objection! <laughs> Perfect. That was not worth uh, the time it took for me to set up that effect. Okay. Okay. Was it too loud? I think it blew my ears off. Okay. Do you want me to try it again? No. Okay. <laughs> then It just uh, wasn't the payoff I was hoping for. Nothing on you. Okay, I'll move on to the next game. So, uh, which was another bargain at five euros. I think I got it for. That's Virtual Fighter Five. Virtual Fighter Five. Now, what did you get this for? The Xbox Three Sixty. Okay, very good, very good. And how much? Only five five euros. Yeah. Wowee! Which is about six dollars, I think, at this point. Sure. Now, now is Virtual Fighter Six probably on horizon? Is that's what? Is that what is happening here? Or you think it's just surplus? I'd- I just think that the Virtual Fighter series isn't very popular in yes. Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, you can get these things for cheap, you know. And also, and, uh, uh, also in that same vein, of course, now the Street Fighters, uh, Street Fighter 4, of course, has seen a significant price drop as well because we're going to get that Street Fighter 4 Super HD Turbo Edition thing that's going to be an actual game you go out and buy and not DLC, which some people are up in arms about, but... Once again, it's your chance to get on that if you hadn't got on it. So what do you like about Virtual Fighter? Because I love this series. I talked about a uh, Virtual Fighter 3 in an earlier episode, and essentially uh, these games, I don't know how they manage it. They manage to be the same exact like style of game every time, but they manage to update it ever so slightly to make it way better and make the uh, one before it just seem redundant. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The, yeah. the graphics, obviously, are marginally improved. The fight mechanics are a little bit tighter. I don't know how that could happen. And the visuals and the audio in general are just have been taken up a notch. My favorite character to use is Wolf Hawkfield. He's the pro wrestler. Sure, yeah. 
A lot of great Highland, wrestlers on there. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey is kind of a wrestler, and then there's this uh, luchador guy. I can't. There's actually two new characters, and I couldn't remember their name, so I have written down here Lucha Guy and Monkey Girl. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> and, what they're called. Yeah, they're really good, though. Yep. I mean, uh, the mask effects on uh, Lucha Guy. He's, <laughs> sorry, I can't remember his name. I think his name is El Lucha Guy. But um, <laughs> the mask effects are really nice. The voice of Will Cockfield has always been a bone to pick for me because he always sounds like an idiot. Uh huh. Yeah. Virtue of Fighter Tree, I mean, he does. Uh, he just goes, whenever he wins, he goes, I'll praise you for your strength. <laughs> he sounds like an idiot. This time around, he sounds like a badass, and that's the way he should be. Right, right. You could play this game for years. The depth of moves in this game is unbelievable. With Wolf alone, I am easily after learning over 100. Just breaking out the burning hammer and different stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic. And I mean, once you've m- mastered one character, you've 20 more to go after. You can play it for years, literally, until yeah. a slightly better version comes along. You think it might be too intimidating for some people? Or, or what, what do you think? Isn't, isn't, do you think it's too real? Like, I know that in Japan, they love the Virtual Fighter series. They, they weren't so crazy about Tekken, uh, as opposed to Virtual Fighter, because they thought, you know, Virtual Fighter is, is more a realistic combat type of game, whereas, you know, Tekken was over the top. Well, I think different strokes, you know? Yeah. Uh, yes, I lo- the thing I like about Virtual Fighter is, I whenever I'm playing Virtua Fighter, I don't have to worry about some chump who's never played the game coming up and bashing the buttons and beating. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I will kick the crap out of any, <laughs> uh, you know, new player, and rightfully so because you should have to learn the dictionary of moves out there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, it's easy. The the way they put quest mode in this game, which is like a real life uh, in Japan emulation, I guess. Where you have you pick a character and you travel to various arcades in the game and right. battle people of similar skill level until you like uh, progress and you can get little gimmicks for your guys like reading glasses or whatever. So I mean, there is a good curve there, but certainly it is a tough game, and I think it'd be crappy if it wasn't tough. But that's not to say that Tekken and the other games like that aren't great as well. It's just different stuff, you know. Sure. Sure. I'd love to see uh, Tekken versus Virtual Fighter. I mean, that's that's the only place I think that these series can go. That would be amazing. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I guess it's just a matter. It of can happen. Is there talk of it or? Well, you know, Capcom versus SNK happened. I think Sega might be comparable to the SNK, and I think that which was uh, the one with Pepsi Man in it. <laughs> oh, that was, that was fighting Vipers. Uh, who did that? It was. That was Sega Sega, well, then you got to bring him in. Have That'd a Sega be... versus Namco. All the great Namco fighters. I'd love to see Pepsi Man. Now, Pepsi Man started in his own is in his own uh, game as well, but not as a 3D fighter, and definitely not with that awesome theme song and entrance. <laughs> it was a jogging game, wasn't it? Or something. <laughs> yeah, I think no, it was an action platformer, but uh, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be jogging. Not not when you're drinking Pepsi. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Gatorade Man. No, I think there was a Pepsi Man game where he's like running along. Yeah, he had to jump over obstacles and go through houses or something. That's and then it. And you, you a can of Pepsi. That's the one. Yeah, I, I, I could have swore there was a 3D jogging game where you're running into the screen. That okay? Maybe that is happening. <laughs> the last game that I've been playing this month is uh, I Want to Be the Guy. I don't know if you've heard of this one. No. Well, it's a free game, so there's the ultimate bargain. Zero. Yes. 
And, uh, Zero is pretty is, good. It is the toughest 2D platformer ever made because everything in that game is designed to kill you. I see. I am not joking when I say that. You can get it for free. Just search for it on Google or, you know, if there's any of the two people out there who use other search engines, I guess you could use those. You really want to search for I am the guy? I want to be the guy. Oh, I want to be the guy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it is the toughest game ever made. You're a little guy with a cape and a gun and you just run run around and at first it just looks like it's a standard single screen platformer. You know where you, it, there's no scroll and you move from one screen to the other. Okay. Right, right. The poor man scroll, scrolling is that is referred to. Yes, like Jet Set Willy or something like that from the Anstrad. Sure. You know, and, Jet Set Willy for the Armstrad was the first game I thought of when I thought of poor man scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think there's Jet Set Willy online now. But uh, that's another thing. Okay. Anyway, this game you get to the first, you get off the first screen, okay? Mm-hmm. You jump up, and there's uh, a couple of trees with a bunch of apples in it. And you think, oh, I'll jump up and catch the apple. Don't do that because the apples will kill you. <laughs> I see. If, <laughs> if you walk under the apples, the apples will drop out of the tree and kill you. If you jump over the apples, the apples will fly up and kill you. Uh, you know the way when you, you there's just that elusive platform that you have to get to, and there's like moving parts, and you think got to get from the bottom of the screen right up to the top of the screen on the other side to get to the platform. Well, then in this game, you jump from platform to platform, to platform. And from the time you get up to the the last, a bunch of spikes jump up over it and kill you. Uh, you can't walk down corridors without something jumping out to kill you. Just things in this game that are simply put there to make you want to move to this spot so something can kill you. <laughs> and the deaths are hilarious because it, the, your little guy, he brutally dies into an explosion of blood. And uh, it's it's very, very humorous. And uh, I think it's it's weird in the sense that it's almost a meditation on how hard games used to be. But at the same time, it's totally something on its own. And uh, the bosses in it are kind of crazy because the guy who made it basically just stuck Zangief and people like that into the game. I mean, Zangief fires uh, Blankas out of his crotch at you to try and kill you. I see. It's free. Go get it. Play it. You'll die for the f- solidly for the first hour to a save point like me. But it's a lot of fun. Great, great. All right, now, John, just, you know, like normal, stay tuned. Except I don't really know. I don't know if we're going to do the council today or not, but I'll... I'll- Ping you back somehow. Keith will do something. I don't know what. And we'll let you know if we're going to do the council today or on tomorrow's part of our two days of December 22nd celebration. Okay. I'll sit here and wait. Stay tuned. Bye. Okay. Bye. John E. Capcom. Always great to hear from John. Now, this next segment is going to be a true pleasure for me because I would... Sorry. Uh, oh, we'll put it through. Keith is telling me that T.T. Schmookins is actually on the line. Go ahead, put her through, Keith. T.T., where are you? I'm at the Foot Locker. What? I was supposed to meet Stinky at the Foot Locker. We were going to have lunch together. No, T.T., we have a show today. It's the two days of December 22nd. We have the double banger shows today and tomorrow. I already picked up our meal. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that, T.T. I bought two platters of baked city from the Subaros. Well, sweetheart, he's back in the studio here. I also purchased an orange soda on the Diet Fizz. Oh, sorry, T.T., what? It cost me $28.65. 
Can, can you get some lids on them and bring it back to the studio now? It really comes to something. I'll just sit here and eat it myself. After all, I am eating for... What happened? Oh, boy. I guess we lost her. We are incredibly fortunate to have our next guest on the line. I know that she's been in high demand since Flowers just blowing up all over the place as the independent game of the year. Open the line, Keith. Santa Monica, California! Kelly Santiago of that game company! Go! Welcome to We Talk Games, Kelly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Am I coming through? Yep. Okay, very good. Kelly, uh, you know, I was expecting an intern, and here I got the president. <laughs> What's going on? Well, there are only 10 of us here, so we don't have interns. Okay, very good. But, I mean, you're holding the conch, I'm sure. So uh, I guess you, you, are, you are the president of that game company. That's right. President and co-founder with Genova Chen. Very good. And that game company has been in the news, the recipient of many awards and nominations for awards, and you're really getting a lot of props. I see even that Flower is once again topping the charts of downloadable content for the PlayStation Store. Oh, really? I hadn't even seen that yet. That's excellent news. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, every day this week has been some, you know, getting mentioned as part of a some new best of 2009 list. It's just been awesome. That's fantastic. And, and well-deserved as well. I, I mean, oh, I'll, thank you. I'll talk about my life experience with uh, Flower as we go on. But let's find out a little bit more about you. Now, you graduated from USC. That's right. KSCR 104.7 FM, Underground. Did you ever listen to that station? The, the uh, That's the USC station? It is. Oh, <laughs> I've oh. never heard that call sign. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, might have, they might have ripped down the underground since the last time I was there. I, I was interviewed there, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago uh, by Michael Virginia and Bindi. Oh. Bindi was the intern. See, they had interns. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they interviewed me for my, my band back in the day. But I really enjoyed uh, the campus while I was there. But, you were in uh, a band? I still am doing that. I'm still doing the music, the trap door. And awesome. Yeah, do do a lot of different things. Now, you graduated with a master's of the... It's a master's of fine arts in interactive media, and that was at the um, School of Cinematic Arts. Oh, okay, and, very good. Yep, that's where Genova and I met, and um, a couple other people, actually, who are also here at that game company. But he and I were in the same class of the, the master's program is really small. There were nine people in our class. So we worked on projects before, but then it was um, the student game cloud, which is what during the course of that project is where we really found kindred spirits in each other and sort of in sort of the kind of games we wanted to make and put out in the world. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you say it was a small class. I Fine arts and interactive media. That sounds like it hasn't probably been around for very long. Right. Well, we were the second incoming class when we started in 2003. Um, okay. So we were the second graduating class as well. So it was very new. We used to joke that our main hub of, of our program was upstairs in the building, um, the Zemeckis Center. And we would joke that, you know, no one knew what the what the heck we were doing upstairs. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but that changed really rapidly. I mean, I think they, they had uh, excellent timing with when they started that program because it was just 
really the next five years where we saw, you know, now there are a lot, a number of game design programs and interactive media programs around the world. Sure. And I guess with the inundation of all the outlets now for smaller companies or even independent game designers, it's just amazing that the little companies can compete and deliver as much enjoyment, as much satisfaction, as much of a video gaming experience, whatever that now entails, as the big companies that have been around since the inception of video games. Oh, yeah. And I think that definitely the growth in digital distribution forums has absolutely accelerated the growth of these of the programs and the number of people who are now interested in getting into game design because they really see a lot of opportunities to make their own kind of games and then get people to play them. I mean, even just putting them up for free on your website. You mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, just, it's really cool, and it's, it's, it's bringing a lot of people who before probably would have never been able to get their own game design out there to do that. Um, you were talking about you had Jason Rohr on your show. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect example of someone who who I absolutely adore his video games, but in previous business models, there's probably no way I would have ever had access to them before. Exactly. Yeah, tell us about cloud, the, the orchestration, the immersion. What leads into making cloud? Now, you said it was part of a project, so mm-hmm. can we know a little bit more about this? Yes. There's the um, Game Innovation Lab at USC. When we were in our second year of the program, um, they offered a grant for a student team to build a game that only requirement for it was that it had to be innovative. And as I said, the interactive media program was in the School of Cinematic Arts, so it wasn't in the computer science program. So we had a wide range of talents on the team. And so we thought, you know, what can we do? Because we can't innovate technologically. So we sort of examine how we could innovate on content. And it was actually right around a time when, what was that? I think Grand Theft Auto San Andreas had just come out. So there's another okay. surge in the media that happens sort of every time a, a really violent video game comes out that sort of just, just bans the entire <laughs> medium as a whole, that video games as a whole are awful, that they're sure. teaching our children to kill, all these terrible things. And we thought, well, could we make a game that really proves that you can express something different in a, in a game, and on top of that shows that people would be really interested in this kind of game, which we really didn't know at the time if people would be sort of interested in it or have fun playing a game that was kind of different from all of that. Yeah. Um, and so there's, Genoa had been thinking for a while about a mechanic of like affecting a world through the weather systems and then simultaneously to that, you know, we're trying to think of content that would evoke a different emotion and we came upon this feeling of remembering what it was like to be a kid looking at the clouds and daydreaming and if we could create a game that evoked that emotion. And that's where it led to the final game of Cloud, which is still up on the internet at cloudgame.com and in it, you play as a boy who's trapped in a hospital who daydreams he can fly through the clouds. And so you sort of grab clouds and move them around, and you can write with them, and then you can create rainstorms with dark clouds. And then we put it out into the world sort of as part of submitting to a number of independent game festivals. 
and it just really took off um, in this completely viral way, of course, because we're students, so we didn't have any way to market the thing. Sure, sure. Uh, it, it was just really unbelievable um, how it spread around the world and all the different kinds of people we had responding to it and just really genuine response of praise towards the great game. And that's really what took Genoa and I to the next step, which is to say, hey, people really do respond positively to this kind of stuff. You know, maybe we could actually keep doing this and make a living doing this. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what was next? Flow? <laughs> so, yeah. So, Flow was actually Genova's thesis project. We all had to do a, an individual thesis project and a contribution to the medium. I actually did this uh, motion capture control system for clouds so you could fly with your body. Oh, right, right. I, um, I controlling saw Controlling yeah. the game. And Genova's thesis was on applying Mahali Chicks and Mahali's flow theory or the theory of how people get into the zone or get into having fun, applying that to video games. And what he came was that if through the core mechanics of the game you allow the player to determine their own experience if they want a hardcore experience if they want a casual experience then that allows your game to sort of appeal to a wider range of people somewhat ironically this is this is completely what is happening in Grand Theft Auto where through driving you can create a hardcore experience by ranking up your star level really high or you can go on the missions or you can just have, be really casual and just you know run around and bump into people and hear what they say and stuff like that. So Flow was just this flash game that was a really, really simple implementation of that. And again, it was just got a huge response from his website. And when we were approached by Sony sort of in our talks about doing a game for the PlayStation Network, uh, we were re- originally approached about cloud, but we just realized it would be too much for a new team. I mean, none of us had development experience before. Mm-hmm. So we decided to take the more simpler game, Flow, and put it on the PlayStation 3, which turned out to be a good decision because it was not so simple. It was yeah, <laughs> really, really tough, and uh, we learned a lot. I definitely learned why you hear veterans in the industry say that, uh, you know, nothing compares to you. Once you've shipped that first game, you're really forever changed by it. Um, there's nothing like it. And <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I know that you actually were contracted by, uh, by Sony, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We're in a, a three-game development deal with Sony Santa Monica. And do you get, like, dev kits, and what what is, what's all involved yep. with that? Yeah, under that, they supply dev kits. Uh, now there are a couple different kinds. You have dev kits and test kits, which are smaller and cheaper, but have less debugging functionality. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, the idea of the development kit is that it has kind of mo- a little bit more power than your consumer unit because while you're making a game, you're both running the game, but then you you also need to be debugging it and sort sure. of running other programs simultaneously to it in order to fix it if it breaks and evaluate different systems. And so that's sort of your basic development kit for any well, of the consoles. Well, to go from Flow, uh, which was basically 2D, and then and then go into Flower, you really seem to have gotten a hold of what the PlayStation was capable of, and utilizing some of that uh, you know internal power there, the built-in algorithms, of the things that that you can take a hold of and and manipulate that's already embedded in the in the uh, power of that processor and the cores and things like that. 
Well, yes and no. I mean, there's only so much you can invest in your technology on a smaller scale project. And so larger scale, you kind of have more time to invest in systems and get really down deep. I mean, you also need programmers who are very interested in doing that. And it can be a pretty boring job to really get down into the nitty gritty of the of the PS3. For smaller projects, what you'll see um, like in Flow or an Everyday Shooter, especially, we really didn't, for those initial projects, utilize sort of the SPUs and more of the power. We sort of tried to keep it contained into a realm that we we're more familiar with because there were so many other moving pieces and your first development project is just sort of insane anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really want to mitigate your technological risk as much as possible. Um, but then on Flower, you can see we we did a lot of work into researching the SPUs. That's how we get the grass system and the, the petal swarms. But you can see the grass system is really uh, utilizing the SPUs and, and fell out as a result of, of the research our programmers were doing on the SPUs. But even so, on that project and this one, we do use the Fire Engine, which is sort of a middleware graphics engine done by the Sony Internal. Okay. Um, so we're never like getting really into the guests of it, especially as a small team with limited resources. You, unless you have those like crazy ninja. Eastern European programmers are like way into it. You could try and avoid it. Right, right. Now, is there a spark that happens to to try to think about making a game like Flower? Is there research involved, or is it just drawing from memory, drawing from experience? How does Flower come about? Oh, man, I think all of the above, really. It definitely starts with the spark from our creative director, Genova. He came to us with this idea of trying to capture this feeling of nature through your PS3. It's almost like you could escape to a a happy place through Mm. your PlayStation 3. As we developed more, that concept evolved because it really came from Genova's experience from moving from Shanghai to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is a much more rural area compared to the megapolis of Shanghai. Mm. Um, And especially driving around California, he had never, ever experienced nature in that way before. So that's where you see the story uh, in Flower of the urban versus the natural. But the idea being that you really want to achieve a balance between both and that not one is necessarily better than the other. And you kind of, if you're in the nature a really long time, you may miss the city. And if you're in the city a really long time, you might miss nature. Sure, Um, sure. Genova definitely does a lot of reading in philosophy and storytelling, psychology, and it all feeds into our process. Fantastic. Yeah, I was involved with another audio program for about uh, four years, and my growth with that product had stopped for me. And as a parting gift, one of my beloved listeners, Noel Malinowski, gave me a PS3, Little Big Planet, and a Blu-ray set. And because I was so touched by this, the generosity of, of some of my listeners, I just let it sit in the box in the middle of my living room for, you know, about a week or so uh, with the little Amazon two wiggly cards on them and everything just so I could just soak it all in and just, you know, really appreciate it. And then um, one day, uh, Chizzy, my wife, was she was feeling a bit under the weather. She had a rough week. And I remember reading about Flower in one of these magazines I got for free after paying money to sign up for a discount club and uh, I said this sounds pretty amazing I really need to check this out 
So I hooked up the PS3 to my television, my stereo, and I downloaded Flower. And not only was Flower the first game that I played on our system, but it was just the right kind of vegetable soup for the psyche uh, that Chizzy needed. And she really, she loved it. So that's my little Flower story and how it changed and all. It, it sort that's of just great. put a big giant rainbow. And like when things were exploding on the television and becoming all green and the rainbow, that extended out into the living room. Oh, man, that's a wonderful <laughs> Story. Right on. So now, Spike Television, you're on TV. Yeah. What's going on with that? You, 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 did you Cable expect television. that? How's um, that? Yeah, feel? that was that was amazing. We were not expecting that. We were thinking Spike TV, fueled by Mountain Dew. Oh, it's got to go to Charles H D or something. <laughs> that seems like the perfect fit. So we were just really honored and. Um, you know, I said, I said this probably a million times beforehand, but just I was really excited by it because I, I, it just really showed that these kind of games aren't just niche, artsy, fartsy games, that they really appeal at a commercial level, which is our goal. I mean, we really, I think, get labeled as the experimental and mm-hmm. artsy. Um, yeah. And by that, meaning like sort of just niche or, or doing our own little... Things, but our goal is in making these games is to appeal to a wider audience. The idea being that the gamer audience has been kind of limited in the past because the content itself has been pretty limited, the variety in it. And I mean, I really love video games, first of all, and I play my fair share of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, but. You know, I want variety. And sure. It's like exactly that situation that you're talking about. You know, maybe you're at home and you're not feeling that great. And I just don't want to be in a place anymore where I'm thinking, am I in the mood for a video game? It's, I instead want to get to a place where it's just, well, what am I in the mood for? And that there's a game that's there for that. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes I do. I get home from work and I'm kind of nervous about turning my system on because I know Call of Duty's there waiting for me and I'm like but it's so stressful and I just got home and, you know. sure sure <laughs> but I want to finish it but gosh it's so loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah Space Marines how, how much Space Marines can you take um, oh man uh, apparently you, never enough <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think that Space Marines are at the point that two-on-two side-view fighting games we're at back in the in the 90s? I think we're at, oh, finally at that a, threshold. I never thought about that, but yeah, probably. I mean, it's definitely the genre that, other than Wii Sports, I would say that the masses are most familiar with. I mean, sure. Everyone knows Space Marines. Well, I can't, can't wait to see what the next pop genre is going to be, but I love how you mentioned the casual gamer and the hardcore, and, and the, you even worked that into your company ethics of that core appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. So that really comes through as well. Uh, now, you mentioned that you play games. So what, what made you get interested in games? Why did you even go to this interactive media course? Well, you know, it's funny. I actually came from theater. I got my undergrad degree at NYU in theater and was in New York for a couple of years working and managing in the theater scene. And oh. I really got into developing original works. And I actually applied to the USC Interactive Media Program from a perspective of wanting to incorporate it into like multimedia and interactive performance pieces. Uh-huh. But it was my second semester there that I took this critical studies of video games course taught by Tracy Fullerton um, that examined the role in games throughout the history of humanity. And I always played video games growing up, but 
I just never thought about making them until that point. But when looking at the role of games in, in, throughout history and then seeing what we accomplished in video games, you just really saw that we just scratched the surface of what was out there. Not only just what was possible, but, but even like territories that we've covered in the past with board games still haven't been really breached in, um, in video games yet. And... It was just really exciting, and it was just that same drive that pulled me towards doing original works in theater just really excited me in doing games and this sort of untapped potential and the lack of rules and structure. I mean, there's just really, it's kind of a wild west in a lot of ways, and it's slowly getting more formalized, but really even still, there's there's still sort of an anything-goes attitude. No, no one really knows what's the the right way to make a game yet so sure. it's really exciting yeah yeah were you a fan of like Antonin Artaud or the Surrealists or any type of that influence oh yeah actually I uh, ran a uh, game club group at USC and we did a Surrealist Games event which was just one of our most more popular ones it was a lot of fun so we played some of the games that those guys used to play to free their minds wow um, that was yeah. just a stab in the dark, just considering that you came from a more theatrical background and then the arts brought into there, and that's, that's great. Are, what, what do you, what's next to put the audience in action? Anything you can talk about or anything? Uh, I can't talk about it. We okay. are doing our, I can say we were doing our third game for PlayStation Network, um, but that's about it. Otherwise, okay. it sure, I understand. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to hear from you and taking time out for the little guys when you're up there with the G4s and the spikes ah. and the things like that. So, No way. We're the little guys, and it's just really uh, our – I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but our fans are, are really the, the, the heroes and the big guys because they're the ones that get us – access to those sorts of places and sort of get the word out there and in a way that can't be ignored and uh, they're just awesome yeah it's a big circle and it's nice when it's a it's a friendly community and and there's there's plenty of uh, good stuff in the gaming community no doubt about that that is true well thank you for joining us on we talk games thanks so much for having me right on Visit ThatGameCompany.com to find out more about That Game Company. And visit ThatCloudGame.com if you want to download Cloud. Find out what started it all. Hey, let's get Jay Sony on the line. Find out some good news about achievements. Milwaukee, Wisconsin! Jay Sony, are you there? Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Come in. <laughs> I blew it out. Keith. Oh, this is something. Keith, get him back on the line. I think I blew it out with my, my, my yell. That was awesome. As soon as you said that, like the whole thing just freaked out and, and completely kicked me off. So That's the same thing that helped oh. happen to Kelly Santiago. Here, let's try, let's try it this way. Go. What's going on, Jasonia? Not much, Wiggly. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's a great Fantastic. show. Super stacked. Super stacked for the holidays. Holiday stacked, as they call it. Holiday stacked. Good to hear. You know, I have to say every month you declare that I'm from Milwaukee and well that's technically true it's never really felt like my hometown I've always kind of been in my own world so I always like to say I'm from a place called Jasontown and upon entering Jasontown you have to surrender your currency for Jasontown fun bucks which of course are not usable in any Jasontown locations <laughs> <laughs> just want to put that in there because it always sounds weird to be from Milwaukee I'm not used to it but anyway I'm rambling where did Didn't you come from originally well, I'm, actually, I've never lived anywhere except for this area. Oh. Uh, 
<laughs> smaller town from the area, so okay. actually hearing Milwaukee makes me feel all growing up and big time now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the big town of Milwaukee, of course. So are we still talking points this episode, the, 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 the whatever these called, achievements and whatnot? We are talking achievements. I have a holiday gift for you, I suppose. Uh, not only do I have three games plus one bargain game, but I did some research and I have some points to speak about on trophies as well. Oh, fan- oh great. Cool. So I thought I would throw that in there and add more to the presentation. So. As long as it's not pain uh, to get trophies in pain, I'm all good with that. No, no, it's it's the same three games I'm going to cover, and I just basically oh. made sure that the trophies and the achievements matched up and looked at how they differed and can speak to those points, I suppose. Fantastic. Hit me. All right, game number one, Left 4 Dead 2. Zombieland the game, Dead Rising 2, Friends of Mineral Town, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Popular game came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, I wasn't really a fan of this series, didn't play it much before, but a friend bought it for me, and we started playing it. And I have to say that I actually don't like this game much. It's won a lot of awards for Game of the Year. Um, I have some issues with it. It's just kind of eh to me. I don't like the controls. Don't like some of the theory behind the game where you're fighting zombies and you're supposed to either stand still or run forward. And it kind of doesn't like you to pick one of the two. You kind of have to do a hybrid. And I'd rather have a game that's more clear-cut if you're trying to stand still and kill the zombies or if you're supposed to run as fast as you can through the level. So... I've had a couple issues with the game, uh, and the only other point to say is that if you're going to play this game alone, the computer bots are extremely stupid, so you're almost forced to play with many other people. I see, I see. Uh, on the achievements in the game, I am not much of a fan of the achievements for Left 4 Dead 2. They take you out of the story. There are basically five campaigns in the game, and you don't get many achievements for making it through the campaigns. There are a lot of achievements for multiplayer and doing specific random events that can occur. So it took more time to specifically go for these achievements than playing through the game. After making it through the entire 1,000 gamer score, um, I would say that you could probably get like 930 of the gamer's score in about 20 hours. The extra 70 points you'd be missing out on, you have to become basically a pro at this game. There's a realism mode in which it's very difficult to make it through, and you have to know what you're doing big time to make it through that to get the full 1,000 points. Hmm. Uh, So the difficulty is quite high, and the fun of the achievements are kind of low, in my opinion, because they do take you out of the game. So I actually don't recommend this game, which is counter to what I've heard all over the place. And... (laughs) For the achievements, I don't recommend playing the game for the achievements as well. Now, gotcha. if you're a huge Left 4 Dead fan, yeah. I could see going for the 1,000 points, but if you're even thinking about casually, I'd say stay away. Sure, I guess they could demo it. or And like you said, if they're a fan of Left 4 Dead, then they're, they're probably going to get Left 4 Dead too. But just don't pick it up to try to get achievements out of this thing. I, I agree, and I would say don't pick it up unless you have other people also to play with. Gotcha, gotcha. Game number two, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. I was looking forward to this quite a bit. Mm, I was a fan of Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the first one. I like the idea that it's mostly RPG with some action thrown in. I have to say that Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 didn't really live up to the first one. They seem to cut a lot of corners in that a lot of the superhero powers don't feel that different through gameplay. I, I think this is a good game. It just kind of didn't 
kind of disappointed me compared yeah. to the first one. Yeah, because we're going to get Civil War. We're going to have everything happening. Oh, exactly. And I, I don't know the comic books that well, but I hear that this game did not do that storyline justice at all. Sort of seemed like it was just thrown on as an afterthought. You know, I, we'll design some more characters you could put in there. It's basically the same game, same type of mazes, and then put this story on there a little bit. Right. It feels very monotonous after a while. Everything kind of blends together and feels the same. And How does it stack up on points? So on, on the points, I would say that it's a pretty good game for achievements. If you're going to play the game, it's pretty easy to get the achievements. You're going to get through the game in about 40 hours is what I have for the full 1,000 points. Wow. Uh, there's a couple tedious tasks at the end to like combine all the different superheroes mm. and do all their fusions, which is what it's called when they mix them together. Right. That actually is a gold trophy as well, so it's one of the higher-level trophies for PlayStation 3. Okay. Um, that just takes time, and it's monotonous. And then there's DLC that also came out for this, which is only like an hour or two of additional content. So if you're going to get all the points available at this point in time, it's about 42 hours. The difficulty is medium to easy it's not that difficult it's pretty fun to play and the achievements tie in nicely to the game uh, there's only one platinum trophy for this game uh, which is collect all the other trophies so basically oh. best 40 hours you're going to get the platinum trophy so as a game i would say i recommend it if you like marvel if you like the first game if you have any kind of mild interest i'd say pick up the game sure. and also i'd say play for the achievements because they're not that challenging yeah definitely with a price drop i think this is fine if, if you know what you're getting into but when it first came out at the full 60 bucks or whatever that was a, that was a little painful it was a little stingy i agree and the only reason i think i bought it at 60 hours is because there was a promotion with GameStop that if you pre-ordered it you would get Juggernaut as an unlockable character and right. I'm a big Juggernaut fan so okay. that brought me into it. I was a little disappointed in the superheroes they picked that you could play as like Luke Cage and Songbird and they didn't have Magneto in the first group you have to buy him as DLC so mm -hmm. that was a little confusing but I had fun with it. Right on, right on. The third game is Band Hero uh, it's Oh, okay. In the, in the line of the Guitar Hero series This is the it, family you, version Yes, it's very poppy, and the song selection is quite different than any of the other Guitar Heroes have used before. It uses the Guitar Hero 5 engine, which I like. I like the look of it, and the system for progressing is different than Guitar Hero 3 or even 4. It's a whole star system. I, I like it quite a bit. I think it's fun. I think it's not difficult to get through. It gives you a lot of time in the game, which I enjoy quite a bit. I have to go off on a small tangent here and say that I am tremendously tired of these wireless instruments mm. uh, i prefer wired instruments greatly and oh. i think for me it's not really the battery life which is the big issue but i've played guitar hero from day one and i can pretty much pick up on minute differences in the timing and since these games are so specific to being calibrated mm -hmm. i can tell some of these wireless instruments might have a one or two millisecond delay which isn't that big of a deal, but as it relates to like achievements or trophies, there are some achievements in these games that are very difficult to get, and you want to be spot on. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I don't prefer the wireless instruments, and I wish that they would give us many more like the PlayStation 3 controller where it has a built-in battery pack, and if you want to plug it in, you can do that too and charge it up. Mm -hmm. To me, that would be more ideal. But I think that if you're going to play a game like Band Hero or Lego Rock Band, which came out, 
you have to make sure your system is properly set up and calibrated because the achievements sometimes are difficult. For Band Hero, though, it was kind of made for kids, so mm-hmm. that specific issue doesn't play much into getting the achievements. But I'm glad you brought up Lego Rock Band. Uh, let me just break in really quickly on sure. your uh, achievement and, and trophies segment. Lego Rock Band, I, I got to play this, and I don't know whether it's the Lego blocks coming down instead of the normal chords that you're supposed to hit or the lag or what it is but that game is frustratingly difficult to calibrate and to make really happen because of those blocks coming down instead of the normal chord bars i agree 100 percent. now seeing some characters as lego characters is kind of amusing but the only reason i can recommend this at all is because never in a billion years of my life would i've ever expected to see a shirtless Iggy Pop as a Lego character on a music game. I, I almost pooped. I had a dream one day that that would happen, and there it was. No, that's not true. I, who would dream of that? I mean, David uh, Bowie I could see because, you know, he goes in and out of pop and, and things like that, so that, that could happen. But right. Iggy Pop, shirtless as a little Lego character, just totally floored me. So uh, that's that's the only enjoyment I, I derive from that game. I don't know what it is. I might have to spend like a, a, a weekend trying to calibrate and recalibrate to figure out when I'm supposed to strum and press when those blocks are coming down. Right. I bought that game the same day I bought Band Hero, and I agree that the look of it, it, it shocks your eyes, I think, if you're used to the regular rock band. Mm. I'm fortunate enough to have TVs that, basically have no calibration changes needed oh, so i didn't good. have to change it but you're right it it really takes some time to get that calibrated and looking right um, i actually was going to speak about lego rock band i think in a future episode okay, so maybe i'll good. save my comments for then but i agree the iggy pop very different to see i don't know how else to put it very different yeah <laughs> so back to band hero uh, the achievements are extremely easy to get if you like these music games at all, you shouldn't have any problem getting 1,000 gamer score. There are, I would say, no difficult achievements. None of them really rely upon you playing that well. Mm. There's a couple glitchy achievements that you have to play online and have to play like 25 matches against people, which I believe I may be the only person in the world who bought this game because there's no <laughs> online community whatsoever, at least for Xbox. So to get the 1,000 gamer score... It's 10 to 15 hours. This game also has a platinum trophy that requires you to get all the other trophies. So once again, that's like 10 to 15 hours of play. It's not that long of a game. Very easy to get. And the achievements are basically playing through the game, which is easy enough. And it makes them somewhat fun. But things like online that they force you to play Mm -hmm. against people, I don't care for that as much. So if you like music games, I would say this is a fine pickup. The tracks... And the songs are not that fun to me because I'm not that much into pop music, but mm-hmm. it does let you play any of the other ones that you've purchased over time oh. for this platform. So that made it fun. And I like the look of it. So I recommend the game if you have any interest in pop songs or these music games. And if you're going to pick up the game, the achievements are easy. And if you just want an easy 1,000 points, you might even want to pick up this game. Now, Jasonia, could you earn achievements off of those music purchases that you had made in the past? Yes, oh, for select parts of the game where sure. it lets you pick your own music or pick random music, it'll okay. give you those options, and then you can use those in the game. Very good, very good. Now, what do you got for our Bargain Hunters holiday special stocking stuffer 
after stockings buffer? Uh, unfortunately, I don't believe this game has any stockings in it, which would have made it 10 times better. <laughs> I stuck with the Lego theme and thought about some of the previous Lego games I played, and I thought the perfect game for a bargain right now would be the first Lego Indiana Jones game. Okay. There was just a price drop on it if you're going to buy it used, and I think the new one still comes in close to 15 under $20 for sure, but you buy it used, it's like $10, I think. I liked Lego Indiana Jones. I've played Indiana Jones. I've played the Batman. I've played the Star Wars. And I would say that Star Wars was the best. Indiana Jones was in the middle of the group. And the Batman one, to me, wasn't as fun. But just the look of Lego Indiana Jones and the fun associated with it, maybe it's just because it's such an innocent game. It, it takes you through the movies, which, I mean, let's face it, in the movies there are some more adult things that happen. It makes it so <laughs> childlike that it's it's hard not to smile playing this Lego Indiana Jones game. Gotcha. Uh, the achievements on it are very easy as well. That's also why I recommend it as a bargain game. Uh, I think you can get 1,000 points pretty easily on this if you have some kind of guide to collections and, and go online and find where all the hidden stuff is. Uh, it's about 25 to 40 hours to get through the 1,000 points. It's pretty easy, and it's it's very fun in my opinion, so I recommend it as just a game to have fun with our people, and if you want 1,000 points, I think this is a good recommendation as well. Very good. Awesome. Hey, Jasonia, thanks for being part of We Talk Games, and thanks for bringing us up to date on the trophies and things. Achievements! Well, thank you, Wiggly. I hope that everybody in the community has a wonderful holiday season, and I hope you have a fantastic Christmas or whatever you choose to celebrate. Right on, man. Hey, I'll talk to you in January. Sounds good. Right on, man. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. It's great to have Jasonia on the show talking about the achievements and now the trophies, one of my favorite pastimes to collect worthless trophies and try in vain to update my portable ID using Safari. It just doesn't work. You go in an infinite loop. Thank you to Jason Rohr, Kelly Santiago for being on the first of the two days of December 22nd. What a way to begin the holidays. Special thanks also to John E. Capcom and Kyle Von Kubik. Couldn't do without you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Jaden. Thank you to Jasonia. And stay tuned for tomorrow's show as we conclude our festive coverage. Stuttering Craig of Screw Attack and Steve Wiebe will be on a show. And don't forget to visit WeTalkGames.com and be a part of the first annual We Talk Games Co-op for the Kids. Help out the Children's Miracle Network and get some exclusive swag for your own game pad. No doubt about it. Some of these items are one or twenty of a kind. And be back here tomorrow for episode 11 of We Talk Games. I'll talk to you soon. We Talk Games. Still here. Um, Keith or Kyle, anyone there? Wiggly? No. Oh, okay. I'm here. It's. I can't tell if it's the morning or at night, but it's cold, and I'm. The window won't close.
but I'll 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 just stay here. I I got. Is it, sorry. Oh, nobody. Standing by. I got a, an anecdote about Sunset Riders ready to go, and uh, well, I think I might just put put my head down on my arms.